Show them what you do, animal. Ah, what you? Eat drums! No, no, beat drums! Beat drums! Beat drums! Beat drums! Hello, world. This is Chris Abalo's podcast experiment, and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to the show. Thank you for subscribing to the show and listening wherever you get your podcasts or stream your music. Thank you for following the show at Cape Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And also check out the show on YouTube. Use the link in the description down below. Take it right to the YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Lots of videos going up there. Instagram, TikTok, all the time. Lots of stuff to get into. And Ladies and gentlemen, this week, I'm joined by a Jersey pioneer. That's right. You're like, Wait, I got, a, I got a crowd noise on the board. Oh, I have to switch input. Never mind. I'm not going to hold up the show. Uh, but he's cheering him. He's cheering himself in. He's doing his own intro, everybody. That's what a pro this guy is. Wow. I'm building you up. See, I got to If people well, are like, oh, what? No, that's the- <laughs> we're figured out together in the next hour and change uh, from Disciples of Verity. And formerly and currently from God forbid, Corey Pierce. What's up? What's going on, man? Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. We've been talking about this for a while because yeah, man. Until recently, we lived like in the same town, and now you're like 2,600 miles away in Vegas. So now we got to do it. This and then, way. of course, it happened. That's yes. what it made sense. Well, that, yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> like it couldn't just be like you come over. Or, like we head down to the studio. We head down to Red Bank or something like that. Nah, it had to happen this way. We, we had to wait till it was. I was almost as far away geographically as I humanly could be and still be in the country. Totally. Yeah, almost <laughs> all the way on the other side of the country, and that's when we make it happen. That's just how it goes. Hey, man, that's how life works. Totally. You know? but, Left and right, ups and downs, zigs and zags, all of those things. Truth. Um. <laughs> So now you're you're in Vegas, first time mm-hmm. living out of Jersey. What's that like? Because you've only ever lived oh, no, here, I right? Mean, I've I've lived out of Jersey before. Oh, um, have you? For for short stints here and there, hmm. um, South Carolina, Tennessee, oh. Pennsylvania. Um, I actually lived in Pennsylvania for quite a while, like five years. Oh, wow. okay. I didn't know that. Apparently, my research yeah, I mean, slipped. It was literally just over the Jersey border in Bethlehem or whatever. So oh, right. It was like literally so barely. Know, like 20, 25 minutes over the border. Mm-hmm. But I lived up there. But I mean, honestly, you know, that 25 minutes is big. You know what I mean? It's like a completely different uh, country. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> it is. Like- then, you are then in Pennsylvania. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> the whole game changes once you go across that border on 70. Yeah, you, you get a little west of you know, up here, I yeah. mean, I used to live, I used to live in Clinton too, which is right before that border. Right. And it's, you know, very similar to the same thing. It's like, you know, the whole mentality changes, the whole area changes, you know what I mean? Um, they don't even have a Burger King in Clinton. Put it to you like that. Really? <laughs> nope. They Damn. are the town in New Jersey with the fewest amount of uh, chain stores. Oh, really? Oh, it's like our Woodstock. It's like Jersey. I mean, they have, so no here's a, they got a Walmart, uh-huh, of they got course. a McDonald's, and they got a Dunkin' Donuts. That's it. Oh. <laughs> you know, Sounds that's, like a nightmare. That's, where, that's where it stops. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I don't know. Maybe no, I'm spoiled. No, I, I need no, more no, things around me. 
Yeah, I mean, they don't have any of those other, no Burger King, no Chipotle's, no Starbucks, none of that mm-hmm. shit. They have regular ass mom and pop shops right uh, in the town. It's like so, traveling back yeah. in time. <laughs> it, it is kind of. And I mean, you know, in, in more ways than one. I'm going to just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, we could. Yeah, let's not head into that area. Um, so I should have said up front drummer for Disciples of Verity. God forbid. Uh, didn't get into that specifically, but. Oh, yeah, I do. The, I do that thing. You do that. Uh, how does that start? I mean, is it the classic like you're banging on pots and pans as a kid and no, parents are um, like, uh, look, he's ruining our kitchenware. Just get him a drum set so you can beat on that. Like, how did how'd you get into drums of all instruments? Um, honestly, it didn't happen like that at all. I mean, I honestly, I played piano first. Oh. I, I was playing piano for like three years because my mom plays mm-hmm. piano. So that was the first instrument that I took up. And then um, I had a friend, Willie, uh, that used to be at my parents' church and he used to play drums. And um, one day he just had me pick up some bongos to go along while he was playing drums and shit. Mm-hmm. And it basically just escalated from there. Um, but it took a little while, honestly, Yeah. before that happened. Like, figure I started taking piano lessons when I was like, Six or seven. Wow. And then I was doing that for like three years and some change. So I didn't really start playing drums. So I, I was like, there's all kinds of people messaging me right now. I hate that shit. <laughs> I told people, like, leave me alone. I'm trying to do a show. But um, <laughs> I didn't start playing drums till I was like 11 or 12. So wow. in the grand scheme of things, some people think that's early. Some people, I wish I would have started earlier. Like, I wish I'd have started playing drums when I play started playing piano, but I'm still thankful that I got the time to, to play because it did help my musical education overall. Right. Um, but, uh, that's how it basically got started. Like it was kind of like this thing where I was playing bongos with a friend of mine who played drums. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I got in like concert band, you know, you play, concert snare concert bass like you don't really know shit because you know you're 12 13 i mean some people do but i didn't i didn't really have any true natural proclivity towards the instrument mm-hmm. I, I was definitely better as far as learning rate at piano like i took a more natural i guess you know yeah uh, more an affinity for piano you think yeah right uh, initially yes like i made a, um, a lot of progress in the first year pretty quick um, as opposed to playing drums, like if I was to look at the two, mm-hmm. um, playing drums is very tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, it takes a special kind of individual. And I use that word special in <laughs> the many ways that you could possibly use it to to play drums. Like you, you're not you're not right mentally. I, I can't see where you would be. <laughs> you have to be a little strange to want to beat skins. You just Well, I mean, I think that you have to be a little bit of. You know, somebody who in, enjoys beating up on themselves <laughs> mentally and physically on some level. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, is it that far off? <laughs> I mean, um, there's different versions. Yes. As I like to say, but that is definitely a part of all of us, I think, is mm. the madman, you know, <laughs> the insane creature that is inside you that allows you to, you know, basically beat on huge wooden tubs with wooden sticks you know <laughs> that's not normal shit to do no uh it's also not normal to separate your brain into four or five different things going on all simultaneously all the time 
Right. Because that's shit that you can't shut off. Uh, I realized <laughs> that nobody told me about that when I started playing either. You know, that's like you work really hard to get all your limbs to do all these different things and kind of operate, you know, uh, against each other as well as in tandem with each other. And that brain never shuts off ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get those moments where you get to sleep and the rest of the time it's, you know, the switch is flipped and it's never going back off again. Yeah. That's it's, there's no going back. You know what I mean? Blood in blood out, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so the, at what point did you get into a band? Like you started on a kit. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing at like 12, 13. So when did a band come? Um, like a I actually started just playing snare drum. And then uh, I think when I was like 12, my mom got me my first drum kit. Mm. Um, and I was kind of like my older brother played guitar. So I started playing guitar a little bit too. Um, and then I was practicing piano and then I was playing drums a little bit. Um, I didn't really get serious about it until I was like 13. Mm. And I, I started taking lessons from a guy that taught my uh, high school marching band. What well, well, would be my high school marching band. At the time I was 13, I just knew him from the music store that was like, it was, he had a uh, corny music in Somerville. Ah. And he was the son of the owner. And he also taught like Immaculata. He taught him Piscataway. He taught a bunch of drum lines. Um, and I ended up going to see, and I remember one of the first songs I, I was learning to play was, uh, um, was Slay or South of Heaven. It was uh, Spill the Blood. <laughs> And I remember that's where you started and, to this, and, and, and this guy, like he was super preppy too. like mm -hmm. his name was J.R. Thompson. And he was that guy, you know, had the preppy cut, had the half cut T-shirt back. Like, we're going back to the 80s, had the white Reeboks with the Velcro, right? The whole nine. Like he was <laughs> as white as I could get. You know what I mean? As far as like upstanding white guy. Um, and I remember taking that in and showing it to him. And it was like, you know, that's what really set it off for me as far as playing a drum kit and that type of stuff. Like I was doing a little bit of jazz band too at the time, mm. but like it was such in the beginning stages that I didn't even really understand the concept of what jazz was at that point. Right. I just knew that my teacher played it and he's like, all right, play this, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but I took this uh, song into play to uh, my, my teacher and he's like, okay, We'll learn it, buddy. We'll get on. We'll get right on it. Let me show you how, how we're going to do this, you know, and that's pretty much where it really started to become real. And then um, when I turned 14, I ended up going to high school. Um, my band director, who was actually a really amazing drummer, he also taught two drum corps and he was just a great player. So that kind of shaped me. So I started marching drum corps and focusing on that. And I kind of wasn't really. I was still playing my drum kit, but it was kind of less important at right. the time. You know, I was way more into marching stuff and playing classical music and classical percussion and stuff like, which I actually ended up getting trained in. And then I was also doing jazz band, anything I could do to just keep playing all day, basically. Totally. So then, you know, I started taking theory in high school and I was joined guitar ensemble and played a jazz band, marching band, all that shit. <laughs> so I was just, you know, that's where it took root was at that time. I was happened to be surrounded by a lot of guys that were just really good. Mm. Um, so that, that also helped. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, <laughs> that makes you step up your game when you got some other people around you who are like, Oh, this well, is how that, I get better. The amount of knowledge that, that people can give you. It's like, if you have somebody 
around you. Like, say my band director wasn't a drummer. He was just, uh, you know, whatever. He played his his main instrument was saxophone, let's say. Mm -hmm. But he was still a band director, whatever. You know, he's a teacher. The fact that my band director was a drummer and he was not just a drummer. He was good. You know, he and he used to he used to say crazy stuff to us, too, man. OK, he used to come over and like, you know, we'd have our drums on stuff. And we, you know, he he wrote a lot of the parts for the drum line because he wrote for other drum corps and taught. And he'd come over and be like, Brrrr. he's like, you know what? You got stuff. I don't even practice anymore. Look, you're pathetic. You're pathetic. Get it together. <laughs> got to get it together out here. You know, he used to do crazy stuff. He, he made me play. I remember he made me play next to a brick wall with my drum on after school because I had bad technique. <laughs> and every time my hand would flip over, I'd hit this brick wall. And this was all to teach me to, to play in time and have mm. better technique. So he used to beat a garbage can next to me with a metronome <laughs> going. While I was playing next to this wall, you know, pow, ah, pow. It's like a movie from like it's one of those full metal jacket. Kung Fu movie. It's yeah, it was like, like some Kung Fu movie <laughs> shit. You know, you have the training. Uh, montage right kind of like that but it lasted for years (laughs) it's like prison so (laughs) drum prison percussion i'll tell you what though it makes you better you know because totally (laughs) the cost is 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 higher so you're just like you're putting in a lot more effort yeah you get it together Uh, a lot faster when you got that kind of absolutely discipline (laughs) pain is an excellent motivator right (laughs) (laughs) you know he used to he used to have all these exercises like i remember when i was marching drum corps uh he had a friend, this guy, Bob McCarthy, who was like sick. He's amazing. He marched in this, uh, this legendary drum corps called the Bayonne Bridgman from New Jersey. Mm. And they had these couple years, like in the late 70s and 80, like from 78 to 80, where they just had the dudes are so sick. Pat Petrillo was in that drum line, who mm. also went to my high school. Um, and these guys were so good. They just dominated for like three years. They couldn't be beat. Like people just like, my God, you can't, can't <laughs> beat them. So this guy, Bob McCarthy, uh, who was friends with my band director, I ended up marching in a drum corps where he taught. And one of his favorite things to do was to take us in the parking lot in the middle of summer <laughs> on the blacktop. And he did what was called eight and forever. And a lot of drum corps did this at this point. But this was something that I was introduced to as new at this time. And what they would do is he'd take you to the parking lot and he'd start clicking his sticks and he'd give you a four count. And you'd play eight counts of notes, and then you would roll until he told you to stop. And then, and then you're marching around this parking lot that whole time, Oof. just forever. So they call it eight and forever. So you really <laughs> – and literally people would start falling off. You know what I mean? Like literally just too tired to keep going. And oh, hell yeah. People dropping off, people putting their sticks down, shaking their hands out because they're cramping <laughs> up. And like, I would just never give up. I didn't give a, I didn't care how much pain I was in. I didn't want to give him <laughs> satisfaction. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm a terrible loser. That's, 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 that's the best thing about it. But it, it did you I well. Have a fragile ego and I'm a terrible loser. <laughs> <laughs> like this dude's not going to break me. I will go no, forever. I mean, he's going to break me, but he's not going to see it. Right. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go home and cry like grown men do. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's where I got a lot of, you know, basically the the work I think and started then I started shifting into band stuff. Um I had met, you know, Byron at this point. Um, mm-hmm. John I knew at this point, I met him in high school. Um, we started kind of like me and Byron used to jam because Byron played guitar originally too. He played guitar for a long time. Oh, nice. And uh 
A lot of people don't know that. He actually, so when he was younger, he was like crazy into guitar. He used to practice all the time, play every day, mm. all the time. And he was all about Blue Saracino and all those, you know, Shrapnel, Tony McAlpine. Right, right. You know, Paul Gilbert, all this yeah, shit. Marty like, Freeman. be crazy, you yeah. know what I mean? He used to write some riffs that didn't make any sense. But because <laughs> they were just too fast. And I just, I, you just didn't even really understand what was going on. This was like, I don't know what's happening right now. But me and him used to jam. We actually did our freshman year of high school. We did a talent show. It was just me and him playing songs oh, that some shit that we wrote <laughs> that i'm sure i can't i can barely remember but it didn't it, i'm sure it wasn't that good but people went right. crazy people went crazy <laughs> um and then kind of uh i met this kid his name was brian burke brian burke was a guitar player and he was like one of those dudes that was like he was 15 at the time and he was showing me racer x I didn't Man. know what the hell Racer X was about. Right. And he showed me this shit. And he was playing that shit at 15. He was playing Jason Becker Air. He's playing Eruption. Mm -hmm. You know, he was one of those kids. You know, he's playing with his teeth and shit. I was like, yo, this <laughs> dude is crazy. So I started playing jamming with him all the time. And then it was just kind of like, you know, jumping around, jamming, playing with this person, like not really knowing what you're doing. And I didn't even get into like a real band until. God forbid, or you know, the previous names that we had for the band mm. before that, right? Uh, till we became a band. Like I jammed with people, but I was never in a band, you know, like a legit band. Right. Like, so you never had like rehearsals and gigs and all of that stuff. Like you were, you would get no, together, I just hook up with people and jam out, you know, kind mm. of things. Because that was kind of like a lot. At least at that time in my high school, a lot of people that's what they did. Right. There were certain people's houses you knew you could go over to and play. You know. Yeah. So, the guy with the garage, the guy with the insulated basement. <laughs> it's a couple of them. Yeah, I mean, I, people came over to my house because my mom didn't care. Nice. Lucky you. because know, she, she's a <laughs> musician. You know right. what I mean? She also then, I mean, I can tell you the stories of how the progression of how my parents eventually just separated from me in the house. They literally <laughs> built another part to the back of the house. So they literally moved to the back of the house and exiled me to the master bedroom of the front of the house because it had its <laughs> own bathroom. So they're like, you just be up there. You don't ever have to leave. It has its own bathroom. You just go be up there. <laughs> wow. So eventually, eventually when I was 16, that's basically what happened. You know, they just get over, get over they there. They surrendered you know? the master bedroom to you. Wow. They surrendered the master bedroom to me and they went on the other side of the house. They built the house a little bit bigger so that they could just be. <laughs> so they the get bathroom. the hell away from the drums. Wow. <laughs> and I mean, I used to play a marching drum in my bedroom too. Like it was loud. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Know? And I was always playing. I must have practiced. In those days, I would practice all day. You know, like ten, twelve hours a day. You know, all the time. Right. You know. Well, still. when you're a kid, yeah, exactly. You know. Well, you I mean, that time. went up pretty solid until I was like twenty, twenty-one, and then I kind of scaled it back because some real life shit started kicking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's around that so. time. So when you brought this dude, when you were, sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but it was like 13, 14, when you said you brought in Slayer to learn. At that point, how do you get turned on to a band like Slayer? Because it's not like they're getting played on the radio. I mean, 80s radio was, you know, completely was kind of its own animal. But when well, it comes I mean, to bands still... like that, like, how did you get turned on to like, me like real metal like that? Because it's not like you heard it just by turning on the radio or MTV. 
honestly, it was pretty crazy. So at that time, um, my bus driver in eighth grade was a metalhead. Nice. And she used to let people play music. And I mean, you know, obviously there was, and in Franklin, where I grew up, it was a very mixed uh, sort of like, you know, you had black kids, you had white kids, you had preppies, you had metalheads, mm. you had hip hop dudes, you had like, you know, the full gambit. Cause it basically went from the edge of Princeton to the edge of New Brunswick. Right. So all those people in between were going to Franklin high school. So you got a full, you know, pretty, yeah, the whole spectrum. Music. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, my bus driver would let kids play music on the bus. Like everybody, you know, you could pick a day. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing, I heard uh, Master of Puppets on that bus. Oh, I heard Among the Living on that bus. But um, my older brother, who was into, like, he was into more, like, Sabbath and King Crimson and, mm. you know, Kansas and all kinds of, you know, older, like, what we consider now classic rock, but for him was just rock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> At the time, it was it was just new rock, <laughs> newish rock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, he was into Zeppelin and about, you know, big rock and uh He's also into Judas Priest. Nice. But what he turned me on to was that was actually the first metal I heard was uh, Sin After Sin, which is oh. still my favorite Judas Priest record to this day. <laughs> but uh, he knew about WSOU, which existed at the time. Right. And that's where you started to be able to hear, you know, metal on the radio locally. Like we, everybody used to make the cassettes, you're recording <laughs> songs off the radio onto your cassettes. And I remember through meeting a couple people that were into metal hearing south of heaven and i was like south of heaven i gotta get this record so i went <laughs> you know got my mom to buy me the cassette shockingly enough my mom was never like freaked out by any of the album titles like or any of that shit she just like she was like whatever like i remember playing ozzy osbourne randy rose tribute vinyl mm-hmm. right in, in my in my living room my mom was like i like the organs i like what's going on here you know she was actually kind of into it right um she appreciated it. But, and that's, that's a lot, yeah, you know, did. she did. And uh, I mean, she, I think that she always kind of made a point about listening to different music. She liked a lot of different, like, you know, she liked old Motown stuff. She liked Michael Jackson. She liked Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, she was always mixing it up, listening to different kinds of music. So I feel like it benefited me because I didn't really start kind of saying like, Oh, this music is, I shouldn't listen to this or I shouldn't listen to that. Cause that's not how she operated. I didn't really start hearing anything about that until I hit like eighth grade or high school, because that's when people start, you know, in your culture, start making judgments as to who you are and what you should be doing. Like black people shouldn't be listening to metal. You know, I can't tell you how many, you know, in eighth grade high school, how many dudes you always say in the barn, like, Oh, you guys white listening to white music. Right. And really, you're ignorant, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't know how to respond to that when you're 14. You know what I mean? Other than to just blow it off and do what you right. do. Like, I, I like what I like. And, and that's just how it is. I mean, did it's interesting because it came up when I talked to Doc last year and we did the interview and he said his perception of it was you almost caught more shit from black people than you did white people, like white people more in, embracing, so to speak, whereas you got more backlash from black people for yeah, for I mean, well, also the 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 backlash from the black people was more aggressive. You know mm. what I mean? It's like they were making an issue of you know trying to make you feel shitty, right? About listening to this kind of music where white people are just confused <laughs> and a lot of situations are like, "Man, you like Metallica? 
It's crazy, bro. You know, like, <laughs> we're confused in most situations. But and then and then and they were like, you know, they were, I guess, in, in ways like, I mean, obviously behind closed doors, I I can't tell you what anybody said. Well, you know what I mean. But in public, in front of my face, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of these like they were more shocked, but they were like, you know, definitely more welcoming. Also, there was Jews like I hung around a lot of Jews. So like in my drum line, there's a bunch of guys, obviously of different backgrounds and mm-hmm. colors and shit. But one of my best friends growing up, this guy, Joe Bodner, the whitest dude in America. Like he had, <laughs> he was a drummer, but he could have, he had no rhythm like, trying to, he used to try to dance all the time. It was terrible. But he was, a, his favorite shit to listen to was NWA when Niggas for Life came out. He loved them. He was playing it all the time. He'd be dancing, <laughs> feeling it. And it was like the group of people I hung out with, a lot of musicians, so they were all listening to different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Um, the girls in the pit that we used to, you know, hang out with turned me on to like violent fans and stuff like that. Like, right. and I, I liked it. So it was like there was always kind of this exchange. So I guess I didn't really feel it as bad as a lot of people felt it in that context. But I definitely heard my fair share of shit. Mm. But there was enough people around me of different colors with the same you know, kind of eclectic tastes at a young age that it didn't really affect me that much. It was, right. and then it just kind of like when people saw that I was actually playing all the time and I started to develop some skill, people started to shut up, you know, cause nice. that's just how it goes. Right. People in their minds respect a, a winner or whatever you want to call it. Somebody that's proficient at something, they're automatically start to be quiet because what can they say? Yeah. Well, that's it. You're, you're walking the walk. You're not just yeah, like, oh, I, I like this stuff, but you're actually like, no, I'm into it and I can play it too. So yeah, you I can mean, argue I with that. I think that was also something that, you know, initially when this band came out that I know I at least had in the back of my head, like, I don't want people thinking that, you know, this is not a real metal band. Like I, that, I was like, that was heavily kind of like a chip on my shoulder, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I was always thinking about like, we need to make this shit heavy. We need to make it this kind of like, you know, this kind of crazy or, you know, people won't respect it. Right. You know, and it's like, I never want to make, you know, a rap metal record or, or some shit that mm. was, you know, some goofy ass, some gimmicky kind of record, yeah. some gimmicky yeah. goofy ass shit. I want that shit to be heavy and dark and evil <laughs> and, you know, I want it to be what I consider to be real metal, which obviously evolved over time to what, what people consider to be real metal. Right. Cause there's a lot of things that people consider to be real metal these days that I absolutely would not consider to be real metal <laughs> in any, in any sense of the word, Same, but that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I feel like there was enough people around me that were cool, including my, you know, including my, my dad wasn't so much into the, into the, the rock and the metal as my mom was. My dad was, he grew up in Alabama. Like when they still called niggas, niggas to their face and shit. Mm. Like he had to go to like whites only stores. He grew up in like a peanut farm and shit. Uh. So when he heard, you know, that shit coming out of my room, he's like, what the, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was a little more put off by it than, than, than my mom was. Right. But, uh, I had enough people around me, including, you know, like my older brother, like I said, and, some other people that were encouraging and they, they weren't treating me shitty because I had different tastes or, right. 
you know, and I think it's, like I said, it's also because like, you know, my mom nurtured that she nurtured, she was big about culture and taking in different things and reading poetry and, you know, knowing some shit about life as opposed to closing yourself off to different things. Right. And that's one of the things about living in Jersey that I could say I'm grateful to having grown up here because it is a lot more, I mean, a lot of it, not all of it, because again, you had a little West and different story, but with a lot of it, I mean, we have a the whole rainbow lives here, you know, and oh, yeah. it, it's Absolutely. not the case in, in a lot of places. So I feel like I'm grateful to have been exposed to a lot of that. I'm not putting the state on a pedestal, but the idea that just <laughs> we had a diversity of, you know, of cultures and that, you know, the, the idea that like, well, this is how it could be. I mean, to the point where when I was growing up, I thought everywhere was like this. I was like, well, of course there's, you know, everywhere yeah. has, you know. Latino and black and white and you know Asian and every. I, I, I thought so too were. when I was young until I you know obviously got out into the world and yeah. <laughs> realized how shit really is. <laughs> totally. Well, that's it, and you kind of don't realize. That's why I was. I'm grateful for the experience. I mean, geez, I've even had friends. You know, one of my best friends moved to Point Pleasant to go to high school. You know, I grew up in Lakewood, and um, you know, so he moved to the shore. Point Pleasant. I don't know about now, but very very white at the time. And yeah. even that was like uh, flipping through his yearbook. And I'm like, this is, this is just weird. We're all the, we're all the, <laughs> we're all the colors. There. <laughs> I, two, two black kids in all four years of high school. I mean, you need a much smaller class. My graduating class from high school was like 300, something like that. His graduating class was like 120 or something. So less students. Mm-hmm. Well, it was also, po- he was in Point Borough. So there's Point Borough and Point Beach. So technically two, um, two towns, but I, yeah, flipping through the year. I'm like, uh, whereas, you know, for me, it, I didn't think anything about it growing up. It's just what I knew. It's like I was the minority. You know, in Lakewood, it was mostly black and Puerto Rican. So it wasn't I didn't think about it at all. But at least I'm glad compared to other people I saw, especially, you know, when you get out into the world and you go to you meet people from other parts of the country. It prepares you, I think, to operate um, a little bit better and a little bit in a more mature fashion. Oh, yeah. Than if you're closed off, like Franklin was the full cornucopia, like you had every, you know, Asians, Latinos, blacks, whites, Indians, the, you know, it was a full, it literally was the melting pot, yeah. you know, growing up there. Totally. So it was like, you're, you know, you, you're already around, maybe not interpersonal with a lot of cultures, but you're already friends, with a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. And it definitely, I feel like it, it helps you kind of prepare for, for life yeah. as a, as an adult. Yeah, for for reality. Yeah, you got to go to work and deal with other kinds of people and, you know, just live everyday life outside of, you know, your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Out in the real world, as they say. For for however long we all get to do that before they <laughs> shut that back down again, you right? know, forever. <laughs> so at the point now, you're just a couple of years older than me, but at the point when now you're coming up in high school, drums are a thing in your life, even though you're not in a band, you're still playing with other people. And there was a point for me, again, getting back to Jersey, but with, I mean, Bruce being just worldwide, you know, just everywhere, Bon Jovi hit huge in like 87, 88, and then Skid Row comes out and their debut takes off. For me as a kid, even though I didn't play music yet, I didn't start playing guitar until I was 16 in, in 1997, but it seemed more possible. It was like, oh, there's something here. Like, I feel like, you know, it happens around here is kind of thing. You could look at a reference point of just like, well, these bands come out and it wasn't like all just one generation. No, and I felt, mean, did it feel that way to you? Like it, this something is within reach? Like, well, doing music I felt be a like, thing? Well, I mean, I didn't really think about it like like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like, like Jersey was this place where all this talent was coming. People were blown. like, I realized it, of course, because I obviously was I was alive. So, <laughs> you know, I, I remember, you know, like when Slippery, when Wet came out, and it was like, oh man, from Jersey, they're huge, and, right? You know, and I definitely remember when Skid Row came out because I remember the house that they used to party at. Right off of Route 18, they right. said this yeah, they were in your in, in your area, yeah, yeah. So it was like maybe ten or twelve minutes. Me, Byron used to drive by there all the time <laughs> in the hope that one day we would go by there and party. You know, at right? some point, pastor uh, be outside. Hey, man, come on in. Yeah, let's. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he actually lives out here now. Oddly enough, does he really? Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> you can hang out outside his house. And be like, hey, it's just like the old days. He's like, who are you? Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, but, um, I didn't really feel like it was like a thing like that. Like that, those types of thoughts didn't really enter my head. It's, I'm going to say this. So like, as far as the, the, the music business and industry and, and relevance to like younger people, mm-hmm. um, you know, younger people today think like that, you know what I mean? Because they're, you look on the internet, people are famous and blown like, I knew that people were famous, but I didn't even have the concept of like, well, I can get on Instagram and take all these pictures, put all these YouTube videos up and I could blow up, you know, like those kind of thoughts didn't even enter my head. My Mm -hmm. big thought was, man, I could jam in front of some people at the fucking high school talent show. Right. Yeah. I'll be the shit for, I'll be (laughs) ghetto famous for a day. You know what I mean? Like my thoughts weren't that huge and it didn't even, I never even graze the concept of being you know known anywhere really mm. like it, even when we first like we, we were doing a lot of like hardcore shows and stuff like that and the show started getting bigger like they went from you know really shitty um you know nobody to <laughs> 25 heads then somewhere in there there was like and i think this happens over any any all over your career there's like jumps so it jumped from like it was like, wow, man, we're playing in front of a hundred kids. This shit's crazy. You know, I'm like, that was like, my mind was blown that a hundred right. people would even bother to watch us. Then eventually kind of jumped, they made a big jump. And it was like, we played in front of like 300 or 350 kids. And it was like, whoa, you know, this shit is crazy, man. You see the people going crazy, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, then there's the, you know, those, those, Constant jumps, those little jumps that happen. And I remember we did a show at the Birch Hill. Um, oh, man. And it was a Morbid Angels show. And we were like a local band on the show. But it was still like a lot of people. And just the vibe itself was like a more, you know, like a real show. Mm-hmm. It wasn't at, you know, the Legion Hall. Yeah, or, it wasn't a firehouse or a VFW yeah, hall or something. Which yeah. A lot of those shows then were were freaking good they oh, were always yeah. packed there was a lot of them packed then um but that was the the first show was like oh man this shit could be it's real you know like it felt real right. you know like we're a real band you know what i mean it's crazy um at that point i didn't really think about being you know whatever you want to call it famous or known or play in front of a lot of people or even that it was like but we started to get the goal in our heads like okay you know, we could get signed to a record label, you know, and, and make some records or do something like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was kind of like we hit this phase where we were doing the initial stuff with nine volt and all of that. And then it, it just kind of like things sort of just 
snowballed, for instance, really quickly. It's like we went from just playing here at Middlesex County College, and then it was also all of a sudden it was like, okay, we got offered this record deal. And then like pretty soon after that, we signed it. And then it was like, okay, here's what you're going to do with, with the next huge chunk of your life. You know what I mean? Like, and I, you know, you kind of think about it, but you don't really know the details of it. And it's all very big and and very surreal. And then, you know, before you know it, we were out with uh, Nevermore Opeth, the angel dust. Right. And that tour ran into a cradle of filth tour and so on and so on. Yeah, because I mean, you guys got, I mean, Century Media was the label for metal yeah, at that time. That time. I absolutely. Mean, I mean, um, you know, them and Ro- obviously Roadrunner. Right. And Nuclear like, Blast in, in Europe, you know, those were like kind of the ones that, the, the biggest yeah, ones. And they, that were the, was, they were the biggest ones. That was my um, aware, first awareness of Godfrey. I mean, I'm, I should say the first time I, I heard the music because I remember seeing, you know, again in the 90s, you know, especially I started paying attention to that stuff when I started playing guitar, like I said, in 97. When, uh, you know, EC Rocker in the Aquarian, you know, and you look at the local mm-hmm. shows and everything mm-hmm. and seeing the name all over the place. But I, I think it was the Identity 7 or 8, the Century Media compilations that would come out every year. And mm-hmm. you guys had a track on on that. And that was the first time I'd heard of the band. And it was still one of those things like as a band from Jersey on Century Media Records, you know, like one of the biggest labels for the genre. I mean, internationally, because, I mean, you're talking about opeth and nevermore and all these other bands you know it's this is some local yeah, label it's a big were, deal you know yeah all those bands were on since you mean it's nevermore and and stuck mojo are two of the biggest reasons that we were so pumped about century media obviously right. strapping young lad too and mm-hmm. it was just like man these bands are fucking sick they have all these sick bands that's where you need to that's where we need to be um i mean i also think at the time we thought like certain things like road around like it didn't even seem like that was like, it was like, you know, uh, Century Media was about extreme metal, like really extreme metal. And yeah. we thought like, that's that's a place that is going to be, you know, where we should be at. Yeah. And then like right before it happened, Shadowfall had gotten signed to uh, Century Media, like right before us. Oh. And um, we had done done some shows uh, like we, you know, when Esther used to have the shit at the Bears Stadium, whatnot. Right. And that's when you right. kind of got to see, like, man, it's all these bands. We saw Skin Lab, who was on Century Media, <laughs> you right. know. Wow. And it kind of like everything sort of changed direction. Then, obviously, once you get out in it and you start touring, your whole world shifts because you start to see what how shit really is and how things start to work. Right. So then nope. your mindset changes because then you start to get hungry for, you know, because when you first start touring, it's, it's, it's fun, but it's shitty because yeah. you're broke. <laughs> I mean, really broke. I mean, in debt broke when you get home every time. Oh, God, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. All the stories everybody hears. Surviving, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> drinking the drinking the the Bud Light cans, 30 pack, you know, every night. That's what you're getting on the rider, getting right. that that solid hundred fifty to two hundred fifty dollars a night if you're if you're if you're right. doing good. You and know what maybe I mean? <laughs> two drink tickets per man. Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I got to say this, and, and I, I will say this. I will put this out there. Um, and I don't know how many other people in other bands can say this, but I can say this pretty securely. All the bands that took us out, headlining bands, treated us with a lot of respect. And um, they were all pretty uh, sharing and gracious mm-hmm. with us across the years. Like, I can't really say anything bad about any headlining band that took us out. Everybody treated us pretty, pretty well, whether it was Anthrax or Nevermore or throughout the late, you know, Hatebreed. Hatebreed took us on, on the on, on show so many times. 
I started to think we we might as well move in at Jamie's goddamn house. <laughs> it was like every year we were playing. So, and I, I mean, we loved it. You know what I mean? It mm. was like, they're great dudes. And, and we got to do like these huge, you know, shows and stuff. But it was like, I don't feel like any, any of the headlining bands really treated us with like disrespect or anything like that. I've heard a lot of terrible stories. Oh yeah. There's some horror stories out there about. I've heard some terrible like stories. I was like, I don't know, man. I didn't see that. I didn't see that side. Like, and I mean, there's been, you know, a lot of bands we've, we've, you know, Slipknot took us out for off these and headlining deeds, Slayer. Like they treated us with a lot of respect and they never like, you know, it was never like, Oh, you guys can't have this. You can't do that. You know, yeah, I no remember sound check, you know, on, stuff like that. I remember Mick coming on stage when we were sound checking, yelling at, at sound guys to make sure that our monitors were correct, correct and threatening not to play the show if we didn't have, really if we didn't have correct sound i was like damn <laughs> you know but, but see, that's, um, that's awesome because bands that have gone through that already they don't want to do that to the opening well, band think, they want to be better than that which is great because so many people get to a certain level and then they don't even care about the opening band so the fact I that they actually it really just depends on the people in the band. I mean, yes. obviously there's a lot of acts and I'm not saying in just metal, but just in general throughout the industry mm. where obviously they get big and they start feeling themselves a lot. And I get it. You know what I mean? When you achieve success, it's going to affect your confidence and your ego and all kinds of things. I just feel like certain people handle it better than others. Right. You know, I mean, obviously certain people, like they're handling success, but they're not handling it gracefully. Yeah. You know what I mean? And certain people, they are literally, literally handle it gracefully and they know how to behave themselves in a manner that's not condescending or demeaning or where they're trying to be better than anyone, even though on a certain level from a certain way of looking at things, they are 100% better than you, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't, they just don't treat people that way. Right. Um, I have seen, you know, where people do definitely you know, they're shitty to people or it's always kind of like that underlying passive aggressive sort of uh, thing going on where, you know, they're not coming outright and insulting people, but they're kind of like talking down to people in that way where you could tell like, oh, you know, you're just a, like they're a pleb and shit. And yeah, I, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen it a lot and I don't like that shit at all. Um, I've even on occasion experienced a little bit of that, but my thing is I will snap at you if you say some shit like that <laughs> or act like that to me. I don't care who you are. I will come out of my face. Right. But, um, you know, that's Jersey too. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That shows up more often than you just, people realize. You're just taught here. <laughs> you're taught in New Jersey not to just take, you just don't take shit. That's just not how it works in life. Right. And the thing but, is with um, success, like it also amplifies, I mean, from what I've seen, it amplifies what's already there. People who were cool are going to continue to be cool. People who mm -hmm. have an ego or people look down on other people, you know, or like competitive with other bands because there's always that people get super competitive about it. Like there's only so much and I can't give mm -hmm. up any because that means, you know, I I'll lose it if I help anybody else out. I feel like anybody who achieves any success, it's just what's already there is, is just going to grow and it could be being gracious and being generous with the other bands, or it could be you were an asshole to start and now you're just a bigger asshole with some success behind you. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. I mean, yes, I agree <laughs> with that. Uh, 150%. Uh, and I've seen, uh, um, you know, a lot of one and a little of the other. Mm. I've seen a lot more cool people than shitty people. Yeah. But yeah. when you do see shitty people, it's just like, man, you know, it, it's, it makes you like, I understand it on a certain level, like I said, because I understand that success is going to affect your ego and it's going to affect your confidence level 
and it's technically justifiable as far as that goes. Mm. But you know, like like that saying goes, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, and, and and that's something I feel like a lot of people don't consider. They're just shitty, and they think that they're better than somebody else. And it's like I often say to people, like you know, you're not out there saving lives, you're writing metal songs or rock songs, or whatever. You're you're not fucking doing brain surgery or yeah exactly take a step back you're not really yeah take a step back and realize what you really are you know you're you're a motherfucker that got a little bit lucky and had some talent yeah you know because there's plenty of people that have a lot of talent that ain't never leaving their basement because they just they didn't get that break they didn't get that look they didn't have the whatever it was timing or whatever that went into not just having talent and a look or whatever, they didn't have all the components. Right. You know? Yeah. The stars didn't align for them, even though they deserve it. And then there are people who don't deserve it or who haven't earned it as much, maybe who, you know, the stars line up for them and everything just went their way. Exactly. I mean, vice not fair. (laughs) Yeah. No shit. We all know that. (laughs) Yeah. We all know it too well. What was actually the first gig like? Because, you know, you mentioned court tavern, which I, believe i remember right was the first god forbid gig it it was it was absolutely terrible <laughs> <laughs> did you guys go in with all originals was that your first gig i mean we never did we never did like a cover set ever. No? you know we we just started off playing our own shit and um the only person that that was there was um i believe was doc and Dallas's dad and this dude jeff ignatowitz that, that uh we used to work with but that was it it's three people uh well i mean other than i mean other than the 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 bartender and you know the guy at the door yeah it was two it was two people i believe (laughs) it was terrible it was absolutely terrible right it was soul crushing and and hurtful but i mean and then you're like it can only uh, go up from here (laughs) i mean i think it's just like any other part like if you're an actor or Mm. you're a singer or whatever um you, you know, you're going to more than likely you're going to have to go through that shit. Like we like you say, some people, they just skip right over all that shit. You know, they they go, you know, they never toured in a band. They never have to deal with any of that shit. They just fucking go and then things just go their way. And it's just the perfect setup, the perfect storm, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, that was not our situation by any means. You know, <laughs> it was rugged. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, it was very rugged and it continued to be off and on rugged here and there. But I mean, I think any, any industry you're in, that's in, you know, any part of the entertainment industry that you're in, you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah. You know, even the biggest stars in the world have low points for the most part. You know what I mean? There's, you know, look at Colin Farrell. There's a, there's a prime example. He was the hugest thing in the universe for a minute. Yeah. And everything went sour. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, man, Colin Farrell's a piece of shit. This, that, other, you know <laughs> what I mean? Then he did like in Bruges or something like that. And it was kind of this quirky underground thing. And people looked at him a different way. You know right. what I mean? Uh, or Chris Evans. There's a prime example. Mm-hmm. So there's a dude that was in, you know, not another teen movie. And you're like, oh, this is some stupid, goofy ass shit. Right. And then, you know, years later, he does everything from London to Captain America. Yeah. You know, yeah. showcasing our wealth of talent and, and, and diversity. So, I mean, everybody has to do, you know, most people that are really good at stuff have gone through the point where they're doing some really shitty things in order yeah. to, you know, continue in in their craft and what they're trying to accomplish. 
And I mean, I've done my fair share of really shitty things, you know, um, playing fucking terrible places, terrible places. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, You when you, when you guys were on tour, I should say when you're off tour in between making records, did you have to work doing anything else aside from drumming? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. What kind of gigs did you do? In between tours and in between records, to, just to stay afloat. Um, it was it was different for different dudes. Me, I, I was fortunate to where um, the guy I was working for, um, Andy uh, Merlo. He, I basically worked for him at his landscaping company, which we all did at one point or another. Literally, everybody in the band worked for him at one point <laughs> or another. Wow. Um, I worked for him the longest, off and on, because it's just like he became like him and his family kind of became family to me. Nice. And I also, for one point, was his only employee. And, you know, I went from, I was working six days a week, 12, 13 hour days, mm. you know, doing 30, 40, 50 jobs a week by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you that's know, tough. Like, and man. my ass. Ugh. But later on, you know, his business blew up. Like now he's got like, you know, he's got like 300 customers. He's doing commercial jobs. He's got mm. like four different crews. Like, you know, he blew up right. through hard work. So I was there during a tough time. So he just, you know, I stayed and he always said, you know, if you ever need a job, you always got a job, you know, to this day, if I need a job, I can <laughs> see that's awesome though. I have that. Yeah. So, I mean, in that respect, I mean, uh, you know, it made it easier for me. I mean, it was still shitty because, you know, you come off tour and you have this mindset of what you're doing mm-hmm. and then you're digging holes and shit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, 10, 12 hours a day. So it's like a different, you know, it's a different vibe. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, especially, uh, I can tell you the pin, the, the time when it changed was so when we did Gone Forever, um, I was working super long days and I'd have to go to rehearsal. Like I, sometimes I would literally roll in my work clothes covered in like dirt and mulch and shit. And I'm now <laughs> sweating on top of the dirt and sweat that I have already carried for 12, 13 hours. I'm tired. <laughs> You know, just beat down, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. And it was getting to a point like I was just feeling shitty. And like it was also to a point where there was a lot on the line. So everybody was really like, I don't want to say aggro, but definitely mm-hmm. I felt like everybody was definitely up my ass all the time because mm-hmm. I was making a lot of mistakes because my body was just not having it at some yeah. point. Like it was just hard to like remember shit and just do anything like i felt like so exhausted all the time that like it was great like writing a, a lot of that because like it was a big change you know mm. and we all i think felt it but it was also excruciating because the tension and like the yelling and the cursing that went on was at it at, at an all-time high dude and that was saying a lot for this band let me just <laughs> tell you that much now if you want to talk about some aggro cats like Dudes of this band would say things to each other like, I'm not going to repeat it because it's really none of anybody's business. But let's just say <laughs> this. It was abrasive all the mm. time. Even when it wasn't abrasive, it was still abrasive. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, you know, the volatility of the band uh, produced a couple different feelings. Mm. For me, at that time, I was starting to feel better in some ways playing wise, but I was also feeling pretty exhausted and broken. But we were, I don't know, having this process where things are getting better. The songs are getting better. So you kind of feel the progression going on. And anything that was sort of impeding that progress was aggravating everybody to no end. Mm. 
Right. Okay. So that added to the volatility and the, and the, and the cursing <laughs> and the, and then all in, that stuff around. in the midst of that, while you guys are putting that together, you get the call to do Ozfest 2004. Well, that was, was a little bit after that. So basically what happened was, um, this was kind of like a, a pivotal point in it for me was after I recorded uh, the drums were gone forever. In my mind, I was ready to to quit. I was done. Really? Like I felt done in every capacity. Like once I got done recording the drums, I didn't talk to anybody for like two weeks. I think it was. Mm. I was just like, that's it. I'm fucking just, over, I'm, I'm over it. it. Yeah. Crawled in my room. <laughs> and sat in there watching Sopranos DVDs and smoking weed yeah. in the dark. You know I'm doing I mean? everything like, but was, playing drums and God forbid. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, and then I remember we got the, the mixes back from, uh, from Colin uh, Richardson and literally we heard that shit. Everyone's smiling. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it sounded so it was like, <laughs> you know, maybe like then you kind of like feel like, okay, all the pain is sort of worth it. But I'm bringing this up because this is the point at which I was basically like, all right, now is that point where we all have to make that decision. We have to dedicate ourselves to this band or we have to say, fuck it. And, you know, every every individual in the band had to make, basically make that decision. Oh, it was that like, close. You, that you guys you yeah. felt you were at a breaking point, maybe that like this could well, be. Well, I feel like it, it was a breaking point on several levels. Like, are you going to, you know, kind of stick to your job or. They're not going to allow you to go on tour for fucking eight months straight. You know what I mean? Like right. you have to start making these real life decisions, basically separating what you're, what you want your life to be. Is it going to be about this band or is it going to be, you know, this sense of structure and normalcy? And, you know, at the time John was working at the New York times. Um, so he ended up quitting his job at the New York times. Mm. I can't remember what Byron's doing. I want to say that Byron was still working at Toys R Us at that point. <laughs> no 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 he was i think he might have been working at because he had a bunch of weird like he was working at working for andy then he was working at bf goodrich aerospace fixing tires and brakes and shit mm. and then he ended up working at toys r us somehow <laughs> i don't remember how that happened and front but, to god forbid that's a lot of range that dude has more range and can play guitar like a madman apparently so well i mean you know he did play guitar that he had an accident when he was young. When he was 18, he, he had an accident where he flipped his truck over and he broke several bones. So mm. he didn't really play guitar after that. Ah, like he shit. just couldn't. He, he really couldn't. Um, I mean, you know, not the way he wanted to. Right. So he kind of just put that down. Got it. Um, but a lot of things happened. But that right. was basically the point at which, you know, um, we had to start making those real decisions. And then after that, Obviously, the whole Ozfest thing came up, and we started seeing the band start getting that. And it was basically every peer that we had was playing Ozfest, and you know we're kind of saying essentially like, "Yo, we have to do this." Mm-hmm. And I could get into the specifics of the positives and negatives of what went on that we had to embrace in order to to do Ozfest because mm-hmm. there was several of both. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, on, se- on on several levels. Um, well, at that point, Ozfest was was a little bit different. Like you had to do that tour, which was ten and a half weeks. Mm. You had to have a bus. You had to have a full crew. You had to pay for insurance. 
you know, like you had to carry all these things that were extremely expensive. Oh, so you had to meet these requirements to be part of it. It wasn't something yeah, that was inclusive. Absolutely. Ah, absolutely. Okay. Like that's just the way that shit ran. Right. You know, right. At, at that point. Um, so, you know, that took a, a certain amount of, you know, obviously sacrifice for the label sacrifice for us. Right. Cause you know, they just had, you know, they had to say, okay, well, you know, we're, is it worth, you know, doing this, putting this money into it for you guys? Cause I mean, they had Laguna coil on, on that same one. Jim O'Borg here was on that. Yeah. I mean, it was that same process. That process was, is to my knowledge, is like I think it's like the second biggest of all time. I mean, that was crazy because it was Priest, it was Black Label, Slayer, Slipknot, Lamb of God, Lacuna Coil, God forbid, Judas of course. Priest, yeah, I mean, uh, Super Joint Ritual, Darkest Hour, Bleeding Through, um, Otep, um, Atreyu. Dimo was on that tour too, I think. Dimo yeah. was on. I mean, that was a huge, that's a stacked lineup. So, I mean, just the idea of being included. I mean, obviously there's more to it than just the honor of playing Ozfest, but it's like. Yeah, I mean, it was very competitive because there were so many good, I mean, Lamb of God, Slipknot, Hate Breed, Devil Driver, and that was just the second stage. (laughs) So, I mean, it it was like Unearth, um, Darkest Hour. Mm -hmm. There were so many bands uh, super really good bands on that tour that was like you had to go out there making sure that you were kicking ass at all times you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> now do you think you could have done that gone out and done the Ozfest tour if you weren't all happy with the way Gone Forever came out like do you think it was at the point where had that not had that record had you guys not been happy with it do you think you could have done the Ozfest tour or you think if the record didn't come together the way it did you, you probably wouldn't have made it that I far think, I think that that record had no choice but to come together the way it did because we were not going to be satisfied with anything else. Mm. You know what I mean? I I think that we all felt like, you know, the amount of work that just went into the writing process and the ruling it out. And like I said, all the aggravation and the real life shit that you have to get, like it it had to be, you know, it's like, we're, we were not going to put out something that wasn't, what we wanted it to be, mm, you know what right. I mean? So I, th- I think that there was no other choice for us. You know what I mean? It was like, put out something that is the best thing that we can do or, to, or, you know, we're just going to keep, <laughs> keep trying till, till the, <laughs> till it is right. Until it becomes that. Like, I don't think that there, there was any point anybody said, we're like, Oh, you know, we're going to skip this step and try to make it like this or do it like this. It was like, no, it needs to be like this. This has to happen this way. We have to, you know, there's a lot of stuff that, especially um, I felt like for me was a big change playing wise because some of the stuff like Dow's writing on a drum machine, but he would always forget that I only have four limbs. So he'd be <laughs> writing this crazy stuff and then he'd be mad when I couldn't, you know, this accent was missing. That right. he had you can't duplicate a drum machine. Yeah. So then I had to start thinking of ways to, manufacture these ideas and they were also they were growing as far as inspiration in different ways getting more rock influence into their minds and 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 melodically so it, it began what i'd like to call the Corey needs to be able to play every style 
era. <laughs> era. You know what I mean? Because they'd have like, I want this part. I like this Foo Fighters rocking part. I want to sound like this guy. Then it'd be like, you know, I really fucking love Symbolic. And we have this part. We want to sound like Gene Hogan. Then it'd be like, oh, you know, fucking love that to Gates. This thrash part here wants to sound like that. I was like, who do you think I am? You literally <laughs> listing, you know, the dudes are the best at, at, at everything that they do. And you want me to like replicate these yeah. concepts. All on one album. <laughs> you want me to be like five he, of the best dudes yeah, out there? It's like at once. You know, when you listen to Slaughter of Soul, that dude plays two drum beats the whole album. That's why it sounds the best, as good as it does, because he mastered that shit. Right. Adrian put everything he had into playing those those things perfectly. You know, you listen to these guys that were playing these different styles. And it's like they put everything they had into playing that style. Now mm. you're expecting me to replicate. These dudes who dedicated their lives to something and do it now all in one record and be able to do all of it well. Yeah, all the styles. Yeah. All of the styles. And I was like, I don't know if I'm capable of that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I just started figuring out ways to give it all that I could. And if I couldn't do it, I would try to come up with things that were more impressive than what they thought. (laughs) <laughs> so that they can just shut up, you right. know, essentially. I just wanted people to stop yelling at me. That's really <laughs> was a lot of my motivation. I just wanted people to get off my back. Right. You know, which is kind of terrible to say, but it did make for a lot of, you know, uh, I think more aggressive drum parts because mm-hmm. I was so angry and sort of defeated. And I just also really wanted people to shut up that <laughs> I tried a lot harder for a lot of, right. You channeled things. all of that into performances and it, and yes, it showed up yes. on the record. Well, try to, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that era sort of advanced. Like if you notice, like when constitution, when we did constitution, mm-hmm. it was like another huge evolution, yeah. which required even more of that same concept. And at that point it was really starting to get like, if you listen to that album, there's a lot of crazy dynamics, like different moods and, different ranges right it's the evolution the like you said that's everybody's evolving because now you guys are what's that four records in so yeah yeah it's, it's it gonna was, evolve it was, definitely, it was a tough period it was a tough period <laughs> it was, but i mean i had a lot more fun on constitution than been gone forever um we were you know i wasn't really working at that point we were just literally in the house like writing all the time like mm-hmm. practicing all the time so it was a little bit better and then by the time that Ursula came around, like that, that's when I kind of like, I just kind of started to take the wheel for myself. And my, like, I felt much more confident in my skill level to the point where I didn't feel like there was anybody in that band that could tell me what I should be playing. Cause all my ideas are better than yours as far as this instrument goes. Nice. So, well, you know, you but it took a long time to get there, to have that kind of confidence and to, to actually believe in myself mm. in that, in that regard, you know, it was just kind of like, I was always sort of waiting more in the previous records for acceptance and for everybody to be like happy with what was going on, as opposed to just, you know, me actually being happy first. <laughs> right. But, uh, so yeah, you got a little off topic there, but uh, no, no. I, I mean, it's, it's all part of the history and it's like people, you know, the, I've said, I've gotten to a couple of conversations recently and I was saying on last week's show that I've only, you know, I, we were talking a little bit before we started and, you know, I haven't been in a band in about 10 years. And the thing is, as as I've talked to more musicians recently, and as I've kind of reconnected with the musician parts of me, it's, 
I, I kind of have come to understand that I love playing in a band. I don't love being in a band. <laughs> being in a band. Yeah, being in a band is, 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 is like being in a band is tough. <laughs> it is. Dude, well, that's it. It's like it, it can be fun. Playing shows is fun. Everything else that goes into it, it it's tough. You know, it, it really is. And, you know, it's easy to kind of be naive about that when you when you get started. Like, you know, like I said, I had that idealized idea of just like, oh, imagine how far things can go. You know, like when I started playing and everything. But it's it really is its own thing. And it's tough to get the right people together. Everyone's well, on the same page. Everybody has their own, you know, it's just dynamics with every group, you know, everybody has that concept too earlier on, like, especially in, in the era that I grew up in and the MTV, the oh, yeah. legit MTV era where, you know, you just believed once you got signed to a record label, you know, you're going to be a rock star. Yeah, it's you know on. I mean? like, that's, that's just it. how it works. <laughs> you know, um, no, that's not how it works no. at all. No, you know, I mean, it does for certain people. And and I mean, I think in some ways, you know, obviously more for for pop bands and stuff like that. It definitely pop acts. A lot of them, they're just like manufactured, like they find somebody with talent. Right. They bring in a bunch of producers to write songs for them. And then they put a bunch of money into it and put them out there. So they're instant, you know, playing arenas and empathy yeah, or whatever. The fuck. Exactly. They're instant. They are instant rock stars to a certain degree. Um and then it either succeeds or it fails, and then it becomes a tax write-off. <laughs> exactly. I've known people that have been both in that situation where, you know, the they were doing pop music and it blew up, and then some people, you know, it sort of kind of, you know, they started their beginnings were playing, you know, huge arenas and shit, and it just fell off, and then they got written off. Right. Um, but I can't imagine that fall. Oof. I, could, I mean, <laughs> I mean, some people handle it better than others. It depends on what you do. Right. Certain people, they do that and they make the most of it. They take the money that they made and they, they're already thinking like this could end at any time. Right. You know, which is the mindset that you really sort of probably should have, you know, like this could really be over because the entertainment industry is, is fickle. People are fickle. You know what yeah. I mean? And you could put out a lot of quality material but the minute you do something that people don't like, they'll just turn on your ass. Like they, yeah. like all, everything you else did was shit. <laughs> um, it's true. It's, it's know, what have you done for me lately? That's it is. That's, and then, and then, I mean, it is, and it isn't because I got to say that it depends on how, uh, how things, how you go out. Like, I feel like a lot of people, didn't really like turn on me. Like when the band stopped, it wasn't like, man, oh, fuck Corey, he's a piece of shit mm. kind of thing. Like people are just more just disappointed. Like, man, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you guys aren't doing this and doing that. And then, you know, um, at a certain point I was like, I was only, I was always the only guy in New Jersey still there. Mm. So all right. the other guys were like out of state. So I was literally anytime I, I started to like not want to go out to shows because I knew that I was going to hear about it again mm. and be asked about everybody else <laughs> again. You know what I mean? Like, right. I was like, you know, and that was everywhere. Like I'd go like walk in the kitchen at Starland. Cause I'd be trying to creep in the back. And then people <laughs> that worked there would be like, yo, so when's the, when you guys going to play star? Like, yo man, why do you keep asking me this shit? I don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? I'm only one person. Right. They got, they got, and at that point, you know, there's social, I was like, yo, they got Facebook, motherfucker. You know what I mean? Ask those cats what's, what's, what's going on. I can't hear this every time I come in here. <laughs> was there you know. at, at the point now, 
2009, you know, you got a founding member, Dallas, quits the band. Was there ever a question as to whether or not the band would carry on after that? Like at that point, were you guys on a streak where you just said, well, we're going to keep going no matter what? Or was Honestly, there- the way the way that he left the band, there wasn't even really a time for sort of discussion in, in, in the way that it happened. So basically it happened like this. We were leaving for um, that. It was a Lamb of God. It was Lamb of God, us, Bodum. Municipal Waste as a lead dying. Damn. It was a big tour. It was yeah, a big tour. Yeah. And the morning we were leaving, so we had to play some, I think, a couple headlining shows before. We had a couple days before the tour actually started. Mm. So literally, Dallas got into an argument with Doc about some personal shit he had, and then he wanted Doc to come get him. And he was like out in Staten Island or somewhere. Some He wasn't where he was fucking supposed to be. And then he was mad at Doc for not wanting to, you know, come out there and retrieve him. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was at that point where he had been going so crazy for so long that we were just kind of like, everybody was pretty fed up for a long time with dealing with the attitude that he had had. Like, um, there was parts where we were writing Earth's Blood, like, I was just ready to just choke the shit out of Dallas all the time. Cause he'd just get up and say, really, he was cut, get him come into the room where like the rest of us would be jamming and smiling. Mm-hmm. And you could just feel the joy and happiness leave the room. It was like a watching one of those Disney scenes, you know, where like the wicked witch is coming into the room. <laughs> so the darkness and all the candles blow out and the shadows are on the walls. All the birds <laughs> die and shit. And the trees <laughs> shrivel up and shit. And, um, so when this happened, you know, um, you know, basically, Doc was like, no, I'm not I'm not going to come all the way up. You know, we made a plan. You should have been doing what you, you know, normal shit that people would react to the situation. Right. So we start talking about it. And, you know, we're basically like, you know, if we can get Dallas to, to, to just kind of like try to be normal, <laughs> then we, let's try to work this out. You know, we owe him that much. Mm-hmm. And basically, we presented this concept. To him, and he basically replied with, you know, essentially that he couldn't guarantee that his behavior would change or mm. be better. So, <laughs> at that point, you know, it's it's what else can you do? You know right. what I mean? Um, and that same day, uh, Doc had reached out to um, to Chris from Darkest Hour, formerly of Darkest Hour, to to fill in and learn his stuff because we knew him. He's a very capable guy, great player. We knew we could get along with him, yada, yada. Yeah, and that's important, really important. (laughs) He learned the stuff in like a couple days, and we jammed with him at my friend Mike's garage in Arizona, you know, which is where the first show was. So he Mm -hmm. met us. um, We jammed in Mike's garage, you know, basically running the set, and then we played the first show with him the next day. Oh, so you guys didn't even lose a step despite this. I mean, we didn't really have, it was like, okay, well, the other, opera, you know, was either play with one guitar player, which we thought was absolutely ridiculous because the music is a very guitar driven band. Yeah. a lot of harm, like it would just sound ridiculous. Um, the other option, which, but we did it for a couple of shows, honestly, with just Doc mm-hmm. playing and dudes just figuring out different vocal ideas and whatever, which it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't what you wanted it to be. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just, there wasn't even really like that that period of like okay well 
we could just not do this tour. Like that wasn't an option at that point. Like right. you guys we're already committed to this shit. Yeah. This, it's a huge tour. We just got to figure this shit out. And it did work out for the best. Chris did a great job. And honestly, it was like, there was a point at which I was listening to Chris. I was like, Oh man, I forgot how these songs actually sounded because there was a point at which I think, well, Dallas didn't, I don't know. He didn't care as much as to what was going on. He was more into what was going on with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the live show definitely suffered from that on some level. So when he, when Chris started playing, like obviously he was more enthusiastic. He was excited to be yeah, there. New blood. Yeah. And it, it sounded like it was like night and day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn, I forgot these songs even sound right. like this. So it, it happened so, the way it was supposed to, because now you guys are reinvigorated because you got, yeah, I mean, it was you, you a little tough at first, but um, after that sort of like Rocky start, like, we were doing a lot of different things. Like I had gotten like a Pro Tools rig and in-ear mm. monitor. So like I was playing to a click now and it was like all these things going on. Like in the first day, the computer like skipped and went off and I was like, I had never dealt with it before. So there was a, there was a huge embarrassing crash that happened <laughs> uh, because I hadn't figured out what to do in that situation. Right. I've never been in that situation before. Um, but it was terrible. It was, it was very humbling and embarrassing. Uh, and I take full responsibility for that. You know, it just, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared and I should have thought about things like that prior to that. But, um, you know, so it was a little bit of a rocky start initially, but it turned out for the best, honestly. Um, then I think that there was a time at which I don't know that we thought about the band so i mean like i think that we immediately started thinking about who's going to be who's going to be the other guitar player and i think those conversations you know started pretty quickly after that tour ended you know like i don't think we took much time to off not thinking about it i think that maybe even some part of us in the back of our mind was already starting to on that tour is going like well who should it be should it be chris or should we try to get trials going or you know was what what, what are what are we going to do? Um, but I don't recall their being like, should we quit? I think also that it, part of it was the fact that, you know, um, I don't think any of us at that point, Dallas leaving the way that he left, um, would have, would have agreed that, <laughs> well, we're just going to give him the satisfaction of crumbling because he left. Cause that's what immediately. I think that all of us in the, secretly in the back of our minds would be thinking like, if we if we quit now, then he's he's gotten his way. We're, right. We're yeah. Helpless that, without he, him, the band hinges but, on one person, and that's not that's not what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know that's not how it happened. So <laughs> no, it, so, it didn't. You guys forged ahead. You did a couple more years anyway, and then at a yeah, point, I mean, uh, it was tough too. You know what I mean? It was just the whole situation because it was so a lot of things were ending. So our our after Earthsplit, our contract with Central Media was over. With everything that happened, um, you know, obviously they didn't offer they didn't offer us to resign at the time, mm. and everything was sort of in chaos. And the band wasn't as big as we wanted it to be, so you know, morale was low. Um, the Dallas thing had happened, which um, there were a lot of destructive forces, and it took a lot, you know, to to forge ahead and then put out that next record and. You know, it was tough. It was very tough. And the way things ended, obviously, uh, I think all of us would have rather things ended differently. But, you know, 
again, life's not fair, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that uh, at that time were very just like, and it's, it's a common question that we're asked is like, why wasn't God forbid a bigger band? Right. You know, cause all these bands that we were around, like we said, you know, the joke was if you tour with God forbid, you'll be huge. You know, we took uh-huh. Trivium on their first tour, took Avenged Sevenfold on their first tour, mm. um, you know, shared a bus with Lamb of God, you know, like all these bands, like everybody's getting big except for us. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was very, it was, mm. it was, you know, it was emotionally hurtful also, you know, so it was kind of like, it was a tough time. It was a very tough time. And Dallas leaving only added to the, you know, the, to the negativity. Mm. But I think it also kind of gave us a certain renewed strength to, to keep fighting. Um, which on some level, I don't think fighting just to fight is always the best idea. <laughs> right. Because it's self-preservation. No- You're like, well, I need to keep going cause I can't stop. Yeah. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't, also, it's a bandaid. It can be a bandaid. Also, you're trying to figure out like, you know, what else would I possibly do? Like getting to, to grips with that. Like, um, I think in, in, in the grand scheme of things and, and obviously from current results, you could say doc had the best opportunity cause he was the youngest and he was in the best position, you know, to say, I don't want to do anything else. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. I think the rest of us who are a little bit older and a little bit kind of like entrenched in certain things, um, you know, houses and mortgages and relationship things and all that shit that was going on for the, for the rest of us, you start to evaluate, you know, when you see the end coming, you start to evaluate, like, you know, I can't keep living this way, right? you know, um, of course. depending on the band for money. Cause it's just not, you know, we're not big and we're not making this money. We're not doing any things that we really wanted or thought we would be doing at this point in our careers. Um, and it was just like, it just felt like people really didn't give a shit. And no matter how hard we worked or how good the songs were, we wrote or any of that, how much effort we put in, it didn't matter how much we worked or how much effort we put in. The results were not what we wanted them or needed them to be, to be a successful band. So at that point, it's just, you're just broken, you know? Right. Um, and that's what it, that's kind of, I don't think Dallas did that. I think that it was cumulative. He was just right. another sort of catalyst going towards that, you know? Right. Um, had he maybe been different and decided to change his attitude, who knows what may have happened. Maybe, Maybe it'd have been even worse. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, you but, don't know. You, know. you have no idea how it could have played out because it. No, no, it, not at yeah, all. It, it um, could have continued going the way it was, and you guys could have done the tour, and it could have gone. I'm not. No disrespect to him. I'm just saying the way, you know, like you said, kind of the arc of the band's career was going. It might not have. It might not have been the right move anyway. You know, to just no. re- figure out whatever was I, going on with him. But I don't think that it, even if he I, I'm not sure that even if he would have stayed that things would have been much better. I think the opportunities were what they were. Mm-hmm. And it's for a multitude of reasons. It's for because of personal decisions that were in the band. It was because, you know, maybe we didn't have the right team. Like it's it's like we were talking about earlier. You know, all the ducks were not falling in a row. You know, right. that that 
the stars didn't quite align for us. Like, you know, if there was five stars to align, we had like three and a half stars, you know what I mean? (laughs) And we just couldn't get to that fourth star to make the next level happen. You know what I mean? It's just like, no matter what we did, we're just like, you guys are three and a half. That's where you guys live. That's where you're going to continue to live. But the downside of that is that we couldn't continue to live uh, at that point. And there's also a theory that says if we could have continued to live at that point for a little bit longer, maybe that jump would have happened, but the maybe was too big. You know what I mean? Right. So you you have to, you have to take stock of just like, and also how much longer can you do it? Like you said, you know, we can't keep going at the rate we're going if things don't progress. And like those jumps you were talking about earlier with growing audiences and everything, if you're not seeing those happen, I mean, and you guys were 16 years deep at the point. Cause it's about 97. You guys start. So to 2013, I mean, that's a lot. It's rare. The bands make it to 10 years. So you guys had enough of a, of a career where you're like, we need to look at this as it is. Like, that's just, that's just being realistic. It's rare for bands to do anything at all, you know, to do one tenth, of what we did, like you'd have to be lucky. And I mean, that was the point too. I think that we got where you just kind of make this evaluation. You say to yourself, listen, I can feel bad about this. And I kind of feel a little bit bad because I wish it went better. But at the same time, I can't really bitch with so much. Yeah. Cause we've done a lot. And like, literally, you know, like you have to say to yourself, like I've played with every metal band that exists <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. about yeah. every band that I liked or listened to, or was I've made friends with, played with you know in a real capacity not like the local band at the show capacity like you know in a meaningful way you've achieved this amount of gold you've sold this amount of rig, you've done this you've played in front of thousands of people like everybody can't say that yeah <laughs> you know? and Thanks. you have to just be take stock of the fact that you need to be grateful that 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 happened in your life yeah um regardless of how it ended um you have to be thankful that all that other shit happened. Yeah. You got you know? there. So many people don't get there, but you still at least made it to the point. And look at all the friends you got out of it. I mean, again, you, you got all these bands who made it, who are still fans of you guys and friends. I mean, even that is like, I mean, that still is, that's, that's if, if you needed validation, I mean, that's definitely validation. I'm not saying you do, but like a lot of people need that. Like, well, at least we're recognized by, you know, all these other bands who went on. I felt like that was the biggest thing about this band was that was most where most of our validation came from. Like there was a lot of bands that liked us and it was just crazy to, I think to us that when you meet people and they're like, I like this band, I like Lamb of God, I like this band, like every band you like, likes us. So why don't you like us? Just <laughs> how does right, that make right. sense? You know, make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, now you can it, sit there and look at things with regret, but I really don't. I just feel like, you know, things went how it had to go and did a lot of great things. And you can't, you can't really be sad about that. You know what I mean? So since we're talking about the same band, there's going to be a little bit of overlap in some of the things that Doc and I talked about. And obviously what you and I are going to talk about, but now being arm's length away from the band and you're able to look at the, the career you had in the arc of God forbid, there's been a lot that's changed in the the cultural and musical landscape since then. So do you feel the impact that God forbid made just for music fans in general, but also because we're in an era where people are recognizing the importance of representation 
And the idea that this is going to sound really ass kissing, I don't mean it that way, but that's how it's going to sound. But you guys were pioneers in a way because when you guys started and into the early 2000s, it was unusual to see a metal band that's made up of black guys. It was just it, it wasn't common. Now it, it's just kind of game on and everybody does every genre and people are seeking that out. But when you guys were doing it, you know, kind of like we talked about at the beginning, it was mm. something where. It was unique and it wasn't a gimmick for you guys. You guys were legitimately into the music and you want to make the hardest music possible. But is it something where, you know, either you've heard it from people or other musicians or fans? Do you feel the impact that the band made during that first stage of the career? I mean, I've 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 heard that from people in other bands and and, um, fans and stuff. So, I mean, in that particular way, I feel like it's. I've definitely thought about it, you know, in, in, a, in a sort of um, underlying Sammy Davis Jr. kind of way. Like somebody's <laughs> got to get their uniform dirty. You know what I mean? Like right, right. that dude was out there changing the game out there with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, you know, getting death threats and crazy shit. So <laughs> in that regard, I don't really look at us as pioneers because we're not good. We didn't go through any, any serious shit like that. But um I definitely feel like, and, and I know for a fact that we did affect some people and give them, you know, they literally said that I felt better, you know, being out and being in a band or being out and being at shows or like in these bands because I saw you guys out there doing it and it made me believe that it was okay and it totally. was cool to, to, to do it. I mean, there was guys out there doing it just like, you know, living color for us. You know, like when me and Byron first heard Living Colors way back in the day, and we were like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure that there was kids that when they saw us, they pretty much thought thought the same thing. The difference being you listen to Living Color, you listen to us. It's two different, you know, I think we were one of the the few bands. And I would say to this day where that is predominantly, is predominantly you know, um, um, if you want to say black or however, I don't know. Is there a correction? Uh, diverse. Let's say diverse. The- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of uh, um, dark skin people. <laughs> There's a lot of. We only had one. We only had one white guy in the band. Melanated uh, we'll metal. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, we we only had one white guy in the band, and that was playing stuff as heavy as we were playing. Like I don't remember any bands being around with that was that heavy to one side as far as only one white dude being a band like there was definitely bands with like one black guy or maybe two like suffocation mm-hmm. where it was two you had mike smith you had terrence but in general like if you look around like there was just no bands like like that like us that was like really heavy you know not playing some distorted viewpoint of heavy music you know it wasn't wasn't nobody rapping. It wasn't no reggae edge or right. whatever. The, and and whatever that was, you call it. that was doc's point in that, you know, there was at least influences of what you'd classify as black music, whether it was bad brains, you know, had a reggae influence or there was, you know, a lot of funk influence with living color. So there was mm. always something that it seemed like there was a straight line to, whereas God forbid, it was yeah, just straight a little bit heavy. black, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what people would assume. Like, oh, of course there's an influence in there, but you guys are doing just straight metal. You guys were doing just the heaviest, most aggressive stuff possible without any kind of influence that anyone would just be like, oh, of course, like anybody just, you know, j- just listening to it. 
nobody would be like, yeah, oh, I well, mean, there's a ba- there's like, a diverse band, you know. I felt like definitely we went out of our way to not have any of those influences. In right. It, you know what I mean? Like we went out of our way to make sure that, you know, when people heard it, they wouldn't even know. Like a lot of people didn't know. They didn't see us physically, the band. They heard the band first. And then when, and I've heard this many times, when they actually saw what we looked like, they were all fucked up by it. They're like, <laughs> man, I had no idea. There's a bunch of black dudes. That shit is crazy. And I've heard some ignorant shit. Don't get me wrong with it. I remember yeah, this a specific perfect. moment. And it was a moment of kind of a mixture, I think, of stupidity and racism. But it wasn't like I was angry. I was more sad for the guy. Mm. So we were playing a show in Virginia at this place called the Norfolk. And I was signing sticks for some people out back. And this dude comes up to me and goes, man, how you play drums like that when you're black? And I looked at him and I was like, that is one of the most racist. And I looked, really looked at him and I realized this was a legit question in his mind. Like he couldn't even process the idea yeah. that somebody black would play anything like that. Like he, that just like, he didn't even look at it as racist. He just thought like, this doesn't make any sense. This is an impossible thing that has happened. And I kind of looked at him and I said, well, you know, I have opposable thumbs. <laughs> Starts there. And he was like, what? And I was like, all right, let me not for He's just, he's just stupid. He's not right. racist. He's yeah. dumb. <laughs> but, or maybe it was both, but I feel predominantly he was just dumb. But it was just, yeah. you know, that experience kind of put it a little more in perspective for me. Like people just didn't, you know, at that time, like a lot of people just didn't even think that that was okay. Or it was even possible. Like people didn't expect black people to even want to do something like that. Like, why would you even do it if you're black? Like, why would you even think about that? Let alone put in the time or effort to attain the skills necessary or to write music like that, you know, but Hey man, everybody's got to do something first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I mean. I mean, I I mean that, you know, as in terms of saying pioneers, just like when it comes to, you know, this brand of metal, like you said, you can't really point to anybody else. And there are enough reference points where, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I don't know if it's something, you know, you aware, you're aware of, or the other guys are aware of, but I mean, I've gotten conversations with so many people over the years about bands where they're not active or they broke up, but everyone's still around and we wish they do it again. And God forbid came up in so many conversations. I'm talking about conversations where, you know, up till a few years ago, people are including Van Halen. Like, I wish Van Halen would get it together. Like, God forbid comes up. And even if you look at, you know, YouTube comments as I'm going through and kind of doing my research and going back, listening to music and watching the videos, like there's plenty of people saying, like, who else misses this band in 2018? Like, for real, like there's just this there really is this. I just don't know if you guys have felt the appreciation or or the respect or how much that, that band has been missed and what a big deal it was. That there's a show in 2022. Like I really I mean, don't know how much of that you guys can can feel because you're you're inside of it. I don't think that I, I can speak for myself, and I mean I think I I kind of think that other dudes maybe felt like this, um, but I definitely didn't realize it was like that until recently, until maybe like the past six months. You know, kind of preceding the announcement, and mm-hmm. then once. Even there, there, there was a hint of, and this is gonna, this is kind of messed up, but it was a lot of it is when I started to see, like, obviously when Tommy problems started happening with Bad Wolves, mm. 
people got said some some really uncalled for things. I want I want to stress that. I don't think it's nice that people are saying bad things about Doc and Bad Wolves in reference to God forbid. I think that's messed up. I'm just gonna put that out on the record, you know. Um, but as soon as that shit started happening, you know, the internet is ruthless. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And I remember seeing these things, and the, one of the first things I'd seen when that happened was that that meme of that black ass dude in the bright yellow suit rubbing his hands together behind the tree. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, as soon as the Tommy shit happened, it's like, God forbid fans waiting after whatever. And it's that black guy like this. Yeah, I was like, damn, dude, like it, you guys are ruthless. Like, it's not even been a couple hours since, it, you know. And literally, it just broke the internet. Brrr, there was comments everywhere. People started hitting me up. Then started getting text messages. I was like, yo, <laughs> what the fuck is going on today? But the other part of it was, at the time, I was doing, um, I was doing interviews for DOV. And what had transpired was Doc had made that initial comment about, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Right. And we had talked about it, but I thought the agreed upon idea was that we weren't going to say shit. And maybe he just wasn't thinking like he didn't really say anything, but he said enough that it sparked people up. Oh, yeah. I think he said something like it's not a matter of if, but when. Yeah, because people people ran with that like crazy. Like I saw that immediately because that was right around the time that was later last year, right around the time I did the interview with him. And I'm like, damn it. Why couldn't it have come up when I talked? No, but uh, (laughs) why couldn't it have been my show? He said it on. No, but it was around that time. And people just went with like, oh, it's happening now. And at that point, you know, Bad Wolves has a new album. They got a new singer, you know, so they're they're obviously carrying on. So it wasn't even like, oh, well, the bottom dropped out of this. So God forbid reunions inevitable. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, I mean, he's never said it, but I think if I was him, I would be thinking like, not only do I want to continue the debate, but I wouldn't just, he's not the type of person, I don't think any of us are, would be just like, oh, this isn't working, so now I'm going to do this. Right, go back to you the know? well, you know. Yeah, because that's, that, that's not that's not the proper motivation for, for doing this. And it's it wouldn't have worked anyway if that was the motivation, to be honest. Right. Well, you that's know, it. Um, there, Go ahead. There was a lot of things, a lot of things that had to be sort of like meted out and, and met as as people before, for this to happen before any other motivation. Like a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's got to be money. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. And it's, you know, it's it can't just be money because let me just tell you. Money is super fleeting. And unless we're getting like a million dollars, which would obviously <laughs> never, ever. <laughs> right. If it's stupid money. Which, then, which, which would never ever happen, but you know, that's, that's the only way you could say like, all right, then it's just about money because you got to spend a bunch of money to do this. Cause it takes a lot of time, rehearsal time, meeting up with each other, flying around for, you know, handling logistics and all the yeah, other totally. shit. You don't time just show up at the gig and just get yeah, on stage. I wish we could just, <laughs> I wish we had it like that. Like, you know, y'all, y'all down to do this show, just show up and bang right? that out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that would be, that would be excellent if we could do, I, you know, I mean, I like to think that I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty professional, but I don't know that, you know, we could get, you need a certain chemistry uh, when you're putting on a live show to where, you know, especially this type of shit where it's high energy. And I feel like we b- built a certain um, quality of live show that people became accustomed to. 
And there's no possible way that we could go out, just snap your fingers and turn it on and go right. deliver like that. Like it's, I don't think that's possible. Yeah. And you're you not going to mail it in we, either. You're not just going to show up and just trudge no, through a, a, a set and be like, well, that's it. We did it. You got your reunion. Bye everybody. And that's it. No, I mean, our mentality, you know, talk about this was like the absolute first priority was like, we need to go out there and kick some ass. Like that was, the, that is the main priority amongst all of us. Oh, without like, a we doubt. all agree upon that. Like, Nobody in this band, I think, well, it's a band full of poor losers, but, uh, <laughs> you know, nobody was thinking like, all right, we could just, we can do this. Like we planned to, you know, the plan was to come out and put on the best show that we could possibly put on. Right. And, you know, that is the be all end all. And all the other shit is kind of like on the sidelines, you know, um, but yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think he's the type of person that would have ever said, "Okay, well, this well's gone dry. Let me try to do." Yeah, like, hey guys, uh, I think we're getting the band back together. You know, which happens. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, there's there's a long time Vin Diesel wasn't doing Fast and Furious movies, and now all he does is Fast and Furious movies. So it's it, it happens. You know, it's not. It's yeah, nothing I wrong mean, with it, but, but there therein lies the other side of the spectrum. Stupid money, like so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> obviously, it's it's in it's in his best interest. To just capitulate and do whatever is asked of him in that capacity as far as that franchise goes. Because he's he's going to get paid. He's done it a thousand times. He knows what's going to be expected of him. He can come in, do the job, and go home. And I'm sure there are bands, you know, that are definitely in that position. And that's what they do. But the type of band that we are and the history that we created, there's no way that we could be that type of band. Totally. But, I mean, there, there must have been offers for you guys to do shows since like this, there, this there was the offers time. pretty much the entire time since the day the band broke up. Really? So what is it <laughs> just mean, a matter of timing? Is it because it's an event or you guys are, it's not a headline show. You guys are part of a, a festival and it's a big one I too. Mean, God, everybody's playing this fucking festival. Actually. It's yeah, a drag, I'm, I'm Every not band make it. universe is, is, is playing that festival. It's pretty wild. I mean, actually. it was a culmination of things, you know, um, timing obviously being the biggest, but I don't mean timing of the show. I mean, timing of, um, us as people yeah, and the, where you're how at. the relationships have healed and developed. Um, and, you know, because when you're around each other for as long as we were around each other that much, you know, you know all the ins and outs, how to get on a motherfucker's nerves, you know, the hidden resentments and all that shit that, <laughs> that builds over years. But And it takes a while of being kind of like apart and dealing with your own shit and having some other positive things happen in your life to get over that kind of shit. And be able to put it behind you and just realize the fact that, you know, you kind of recall all the things that made you get together sort of in the first place and, you know, who you are as as, as a family, so to speak, um, which you got to get to that point first, I think, uh, especially in a band like this where it's the band basically runs off a certain energy. You know, it's not money motivation. It's not this motivation. It runs off that chemistry between these people. Totally. And if that shit is not right, then shit goes tragically wrong. <laughs> <laughs> shit goes tragically wrong. It's the same reason that you just, you know, like, you know, they kind of hit that point where every every group was like the super group. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. And it was like, we're just going to take good people and put them together in a band. And it's going to be this or it's going to be that. 
My prime example, Velvet Revolver, right? Yeah. Tons of talent yeah. in that band. Dude's coming from two of the bands that wrote some of the catchiest songs in the history of the universe, right? Now, there's a lot of riffs you love off that album, but I felt that despite the talent level and the songwriting capability of all those people, I didn't get what I want. I didn't get one of the huge hooks that made me cry and sing at the same time, not once on that record, <laughs> which really pissed me off because there's a lot of good riffs and a lot of great buildups and none of the payoff, Right. which yeah, just goes yeah. to show you, you can take all the greatest people and it's not like it's going to suck, but it's not going to deliver what you really want unless the chemistry is right. Yes. And it's so, all chemistry. It's all that combination of people who can make something more. I mean, and to find that in a band period is hard enough. <laughs> and so, absolutely. and then to have to keep it together is a whole other level. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it's not easy. No, it's I mean, the, the stars aligning, like we were saying, like it's an, it's an insane gamble <laughs> to try to get it right. And so few bands get it right. I mean, Guns N' Roses could have, been the Rolling Stones and they couldn't keep it together. You know, Van Halen, same thing. They didn't do anything for years and years and they couldn't find a way to make it work. So even when you get to a certain level, it doesn't, you don't get away from that. So, yeah, I mean, I think you get away with, you get away from it in different ways. Like if you're a band like Van Halen, I mean, there's different factors in keeping you from going on because when David Lee Roth leaves the band, you have to figure out a way like, all right, first of all, there's several questions. Do you find somebody just as famous? Do you find somebody unknown with the talent? Do you, you know, there's all these things to consider. And when you've built a history and a reputation that big, it makes all those decisions that much more difficult. Mm. You know what I mean? You have a lot more to, to live up to uh, as far as your fans and, you know, musical expectations and being able to accomplish, you know, the goals that the people that still remain, they They've not stopped, so they want to keep moving forward and and write better things and, and make better songs or whatever. So you got to find somebody that can instantly jump into something that you've been doing for decades together. That's difficult, you know. It's another thing. Like you see some bands, they just trade motherfuckers out like fucking baseball cards. Like, <laughs> all right, well that motherfucker's gone. Get bring that motherfucker in. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and it's different for different bands. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like a band like, okay, so here's a here's an example. Five Figure Death Punch, right? Right. So look at the bass player watch. So they had Matt Smell. Then he was, god damn it, motherfuckers messaging. Uh, he was in the band. Then they got Kale, who's great, positive dude. But I mean, they got another dude, big red beard, bald heads, like, they swap and swap these niggas out. Like <laughs> how that happened. Um, but they're also in a position where they had a good going thing going. There's a lot of guys that are great players out there and have the right look and attitude to where there are several choices. Okay. And it made it a little bit easier to integrate people into their situation, as opposed to a Van Halen situation where, Every member is very distinct and cemented in history. You know what I mean? That's hard to replace. You know what I mean? You can't right. just find anybody, you know what I mean? Just because they're talented or look the right way. Like they have to have a host of things in their favor in order to incorporate them into that situation or like a Metallica situation. Okay. And they found Jason Newstead after Jason Newstead left, 
you know, I'm sure they, those decisions are big, but I mean, also their, their options are infinite. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another, you know, situation that everybody's not in Van Halen, infinite options of any kind they want. Famous people, non-famous, talented people, white people, black people, will you know, whatever look you want, whatever talent level you want, they got their pick. They can just, they'll, they'll find it if they want to find it. You know, um, Bands like God forbid, for instance, a little bit different scenario. You know what I mean? <laughs> not 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 quite on that Van Halen level. So you know, there's there's. I, I I will say this though, um, and this is in dir- direct relation to playing this um, show is obviously the first one of the first conversations after agreeing to do this was who are we going to get? Of course, play guitar, and that was you know that's that was a tough decision. I was shocked to see how many options that we did have that are were so great because there's a lot of dudes <laughs> like I'll do it, I'll do it. I was like, man, we have a lot of options. I did it's I crazy. saw comments from dudes and other bands? I'm like, for real? Like that be? I mean, that'd be some shit if like Mark Morton comes and plays, you know, the set with God forbid or something. You know, a dude like that who's like, I'm in. I'm pretty sure he was one of the names. Like one of the comments are just like, I mean, I'm sure trouble. that he, you know, it's not like he's not capable. It's not like he hasn't been around. Yeah, totally and knows the shit enough. Heard the songs enough. <laughs> I mean, Kerry King is bored at home. Do you think maybe we can? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know that Kerry King ain't thinking about us. No, he's not. But he, he, he's like, mm, I don't even, not. God for what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, whether, I mean, you know, obviously he's played shows, but, you know, he's played with a lot of bands. Right. But I mean, um, you know, there was a tons of tons of guys, really talented guys that were into doing it. And I, I was like, man, I feel pretty. I feel pretty overwhelmed. I feel like already the ba- I feel better about <laughs> right. Well, just that's, we, that's we what I mean. It's because it's like I don't know that you guys can feel the the love for the band and the legacy of the band, like just being inside of it. I don't know if y- you guys have felt that, or you. Sp- I mean, since I'm talking to you, let's talk about you. The idea that there are all these people who are just like, oh fuck yes, if God forbid, do it. Like I'm there. Like I'm. It's a destination concert. Or if you need somebody to come and play second guitar, like. This, I mean, if anything, this is validation, you know, that maybe, like you said, you hadn't felt before that all these people are just like, dude, you, you, you looking for people who you got playing second guitar? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean that awesome. was a, definitely a big awesome. question, you know, um, and I was kind of like, wow, you know, like I, I wasn't prepared. I mean, I definitely didn't think about things the way that I think about them now. I didn't realize at all that there was this kind of sort of like a love and admiration for the band. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see it. Right. You know, I mean, I guess we all didn't. And that's part of the reason that (laughs) that we said we parted ways is because we were not feeling the love. Um, I'd like to equate it to New Jersey too. Like here's, 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 here's something. So at a certain point we stopped doing, there was only hardcore shows in New Jersey. There wasn't really metal shows too much. Mm. Um, when we were coming up, there was metal shows here or there. Um, but we stopped doing hardcore shows at a certain point, not because we didn't like the people or the other bands, but because the ignorance level was at an all time high and we could never get through a set. Mm. So like we played two or three songs and it'd be like death match every time we fucking played a show in New Jersey. <laughs> and then it got weird for people in New Jersey. Like, Oh, you guys are rock stars. You're, but like, I literally heard people say, Oh, you're rock stars. Now you don't want to do, you don't want to play you don't want to play home you don't want to do these types of shows oh they put you out really, in new jersey yeah like and it was like you know 
people had this sort of like, are you, you know, this like somehow we were like a sellout mentality. And I was like, well, if you mean I like playing arenas or shit like that more than I like playing the Leisure Hall, absolutely I do. <laughs> but it has nothing to do why we're not playing Jersey. It, we're not playing Jersey because a lot of times we felt like, all right, so like E-Town can play New Jersey. Motherfuckers love E-Town. They love E-Town like they love oxygen. You know what I mean? Like they <laughs> need that shit. Co- I think they're coming to Starland next month or something. Yeah, that was just Yeah, and you know, and they do it every year. And it's, you know, it's sold out every year. Motherfuckers love them to E-Town. Yeah. They wasn't showing, God forbid, no love like that. We was playing shows in New Jersey. Motherfuckers were like, yeah, you know, E-Town playing next week. We going to be at E-Town, though. We'll be at E-Town. <laughs> you know, I love E-Town, too. But, you know, I got to admit the truth. People were talking all this shit about us being, you know, not wanting to play New Jersey, not this. Where was the love? You know what I mean? <laughs> we, weren't getting, we weren't getting E-Town love. <laughs> we weren't even getting half. We weren't even getting 50% E-Town love. You know, mm-hmm. motherfuckers just act like we weren't even from Jersey. You know what I mean? Right. Just hating. You know, and I was like, all right, well, that's not a big motivator for me to, you know, to be playing. Like, I was so, like, you know, there was people that obviously liked us. And to be, to be clear, uh, you know, we obviously sold a lot more records than E-Town. So on the surface, if you want to go by numeric wise and just moving around the world and mm-hmm. doing things wise, then clearly we did a lot more than E-Town did. But coming home, man, they didn't give a fuck about us. They love some E-Town. They were like, eh, <laughs> You know, we never felt that kind of like, you know, I'm sure they felt love every time they stepped out the door. We didn't feel none of that shit. <laughs> so. Which is the funny thing about, you know, just the idea that there's been so much time and, you know, the response you guys got from announcing the show and I was, it's so funny. I was saying this to Doc, you know, again, nine months ago or so we did this interview and I said, for real, like, I really think if you got not to put it out there, and this is obviously before there was a, a breath about you guys doing a show together, but kind of saying the same thing. I don't know if you guys feel like the the love and the appreciation and the respect for, for God forbid. I don't know that you guys are, can feel that, but I'm telling you, if you guys announced tomorrow, you're doing two nights at Starland it's going to sell out and it's going to be a destination show. Like, and that's not me speculating. That's not me kissing ass. I'm being serious. Like it would be a big deal for people to just be like, God forbid homecoming fucking we're there. Like it really would be a big deal. And I don't doubt it because now, like you said, because of that response of just like, Oh, look at how excited people are that we're doing one show, you know, at a festival. I feel like that everyone's going to show up for it. You know, I really, really, yeah, do. I mean, but that's only come from splitting up for nine years. So it's only because of that. Probably had you kept going, like you said, the way the band was moving wouldn't have necessarily happened this way, but now it's, yeah, I mean, it it just, it seems like for several reasons, it's the right time, you know, it's the right time on a personal level. It was Mm -hmm. the right show. It was the right time because there's a lot of bands. Like there's a lot of resurgence for a lot of eras within different kinds of metal. Totally. Um, so it just and like it's a lot of young kids getting introduced to this style that you know they're excited about it because they didn't really know anything about it. It's not old to them; it's brand new to them, and it's coming from a perspective that you know a lot of us we just got kind of got used to. It wasn't as you know special and and uh, whatever as it is to them, you know. So it's. It is crazy, and I, I definitely am a little bit taken back by it now because it just it's 
it's something that I, I know none of I don't feel like any of us felt at that point. Like everyone's like, man, nobody gives a shit. And I think actually somewhere in there, Doc said something like that. And I agreed with whatever he said. And then somebody twisted the comments all out of proportion or mm. whatever made them negative nonsense. That yeah, the internet does really, that. Yeah. I mean, you know, but it really came down to this. Like, I don't think any of us really believe that like people really gave a shit at a certain point. Like, oh, well, nobody cares. You know, why, why are, you know, it is what it is. Got to walk away and just be like, you know, had a good run, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's what it is. But I mean, yeah, definitely right now. It's like, it's crazy. It's like, a, I, I, anytime somebody posts something, God forbid, it's like all over the place, you know, yeah. it's, oh, it's, it's all I've like, gotten on my Google homepage in the last two weeks, which, you know, no, it's not like I've, I haven't publicized this in advance of us doing it. I have a complex about announcing guests before the show's done, but mm. I, I've just been getting it in my feet. Everything. It's a post. Anytime you guys post on social media, the band or you or Doc or any, because you and Doc are the most active on social media. It's just all over the place. I'm not just talking like blabbermouth. I'm saying like every metal site and blog. <laughs> that it's, yeah, it's it always up there. It's where people funny. find interesting, like what, 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 you know, like everybody picks up, um, I'm actually, I'm going to talk to uh, Greg from Ellen Jackson too. He, we just reconnected because I, I manage a band, um, Dissensions from, from Pennsylvania yes. and they just uh, premiered one of their videos and shit. So we were bullshitting back and forth across email and uh, we agreed to get together to talk, but it's like, it's funny to me that all these dudes kind of like, I talked to uh Frank from like Decibel and shit. Mm-hmm. I talked, we, we had a phone call before I left New Jersey. We were on the phone for like two hours, bullshit and just kind of reconnecting with people. And seeing how much people actually like the band is like crazy. I'm like, man, this is so weird. Like, I didn't realize everybody liked liked the band. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, like the band as much. And it's weird, weirder still because it's all people that are actively doing really big things, you know. So that's it's it's definitely kind of crazy and kind of you know, I guess weird in a certain light. And uh, in, in ways that I, you know, I just didn't think about. But you know, it's hard to tell. You know, sometimes what people people are thinking, or you know, what they like or don't like, other than the fact that you know things are going shitty. Yeah, that's easy to, to to interpret. Yeah, <laughs> but time also shows you kind of how things bear out you know it's like you know how many movies have flopped you know and then all of a sudden they become classics like 20 years down the line it's like no flash gordon <laughs> yeah right or even like willy wonka and the chocolate factory like that was a bomb mm-hmm. when that came out and then you know it's like people it's didn't get it's it. classic yeah it's like that's there's so many stories about you know stuff like that or plenty of bands who didn't get their due you know i've gotten into this on the show before about like people who weren't appreciated in life you know no one gave a shit about prince for 25 years until he died and now all of a sudden it, people won't shut the fuck up about prince you know i, I mean it's oh, deserved yeah, all over the, but, there's like 85 different page dedicated to exactly his but meanwhile i haven't TikTok heard alone <laughs> and i haven't heard this much about prince since diamonds and pearls and that's what 91 so come on it, it's funny the way time just bears these things out but you guys are finally also, go ahead i also think it's crazy because it's like all right so you look at certain bands you got bands like not loose so i was i mean i was talking to doc and, and, and beak about this at rehearsal we were over there it's like listening to that band it reminds me of bands like kind of stuff we were writing like during the reject the sickness era there's a lot of bands that sounded like knock loose like a lot of parts we were writing then like if you go back and listen to that album and listen to a knock loose album comparatively mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities but when we were playing that shit it's like 
a lot of times we're getting very vacant looks, like people didn't understand what the hell was going on. You know what I mean? Which was a look we also enjoyed. We enjoyed puzzling people, you know, or what we really used to enjoy. We used to have what we used to call, you know, people used to have the hater face. Those, you know, like those death metal cats that would come, they had their arms crossed, you know, all yeah. Grinch face and shit. And then we would come off, come on the stage, and then somewhere during the set, You'd see them headbanging yeah, or whatever. You, you like, turn them. You know, we got yeah. that motherfucker again. You know what I mean? We used to love to come out and see the hater face or the look of confusion. That was my favorite look, personally. I love when people would look at us and be like, they didn't know what to think. They right. didn't know what was happening to them. And then when you and turn I, them, I, I enjoyed that. You get it. You're like, I got them. We got them. See, now but, he's um, in. It's but, pretty crazy now. Like, it's just like, I, you know, I think it's a really, it's a really, I don't know that it, it validates everything that you you went through, but <laughs> but it's still it's still it's still very nice. It's a very you know it does feel good. Can't mm. lie about that. Um, <laughs> well, now you guys it also have- it served to provide you know uh, to to I feel like um I don't want to say I feel a lot of pressure, but I feel like there's a lot of pressure in my I've built up in my head now to where like I want to go out and like just make sure that I sound so crazy that people get what they've been hoping for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty confident in that. That's exactly what they're going to get. I'm not, I'm not that worried about it. I was a little bit more initially, but I feel good. I feel fine now. (laughs) Well, that's it. Now you guys have had some rehearsals and what was that like just to get in the room with the guys and play the songs again after years and years? I mean, what is that? How how did that feel and how did it go? I mean, um, the initial rehearsals, it was me. The rehearsals basically just been me, Doc, and John, and then mm-hmm. Doc with Nick and whatever. And then we're doing group rehearsals, you know, before the show, obviously. Right. Um, but I mean, it was it was fun and a little bit nerve wracking. Made me a little bit anxious, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, for not having done it in a long time. And I feel like now you can take. They can all take this how they want to take it. But I feel like for me, especially, there's a lot more involved. You know what I mean? Just physically <laughs> in the yeah. situation. Yeah. So it's kind of like I was super anxious and a little bit nervous and, and concerned on several levels of the physical aspect more than anything. But, you know, like the first rehearsal, I was playing everything like – I wasn't comfortable, so I was playing everything really, really fast, <laughs> which is the opposite of what you probably should do in that situation. But, you know, the adrenaline was kind of going. And then the next – so Doc was out in New Jersey, and then we went to the Testament show that night, proceeded to get drunk and drink a lot. <laughs> and then we had hungover rehearsal the next day, which nice. is actually much better – in the first day, <laughs> yeah, so, not, you're not playing too fast at hungover rehearsal. No, <laughs> no, I'm sure I was still playing a little bit fast, you know, a little bit because I wasn't as confident. And then when we had rehearsals out here in LA, you know, I felt I had some time to like I put more time into the rehearsals. I was doing less other shit, like I wasn't working as much. I wasn't doing DOV show. I was kind of just focused on doing it. So then when we went into rehearsal, like much more controlled, you know. There's like little things that I kind of like am embellishing because I don't remember exactly what the fuck I did. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's not anything major. It's like, you know, 
well, maybe this East couple 60s notes were on this Ratcom instead of this floor Tom, whatever. But, but, you know, so, but I felt a lot more confident and everybody could feel it's like much more fun. I, I'm sort of kind of like, I'm the conductor of the situation. So it's like, if my shit isn't together, then on some level, everybody else's shit is going to be affected. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to have my shit together. And if I fuck up, basically everybody's fucked. So, you know, that's, that's another reason, you know, playing drums is a, it's a bad decision. If you're out there and you think about playing drums, keep these things in mind that I'm telling you, first of all, you're stupid. Second of all, prepare for a lifetime of mental and physical degradation. Uh, thirdly, just realize that it's all on you. If you fuck up, Everybody in the band is going to look at you like they just smell some shit. So just be prepared for that because they don't tell you that when you start in on this instrument. But I'm here to tell people the facts. Okay. I tell this to every drummer I've given lessons to, every band I've produced. I tell the drummer the same thing. You're stupid for playing this instrument. You should pick something else like harmonica or something good like that. (laughs) And now you're telling it to Instagram and TikTok because this is totally going to be a clip. So, oh, yeah. You're helping the world. I'm telling the world, you know what I'm saying? Be smart. Don't play drums. Play something else that's less pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and less, and doesn't beat you up as bad in your mind and your body. Although like, physically, I feel pretty good. Uh, I've never had like tendonitis or arthritis or any of those oh, good. like bad problems. Uh, I think a lot of this because of the weed smoking, obviously. I'm perpetually relaxed. So. <laughs> And I also like when I practice, like, you know, like now I've kind of, I'm only practicing like an hour, hour and some change a day. So next week I'll ramp it up to like two hours. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm always smoking during that, during, you know, before practice, sometimes during practice. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, I haven't had any problems with cramping or any of that kind of crap. So, and I, I like to believe I hit pretty hard. So, you know. I've been very fortunate in that regard because I know a lot of guys like Bittner had some, some, he had some really crazy issues with his wrist and stuff like that. And other guys I've known have had problems like painful situations. I've managed to sneak right past that shit. So on the physical tip, it's not too bad. I I usually just get like, and I know this is going to happen and it's, it's like inevitable. I know right before we play this show, I'm going to throw up. It is going to happen. You know, <laughs> I we all got our thing. We all got our thing before we do whatever it is. Oh, doing. dude, it used to happen to me all the time. I used to get nerves so bad, I would throw up all the time. Like it became a thing where I used to have a box. Like my drum tech used to put a box mm-hmm. next to my kit because he knew at some point I was gonna throw up. Like there's many stories about <laughs> this. Like Jason Costa from 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 All That Remains. He'll tell you stories. I threw up on his drum rug <laughs> multiple times, <laughs> multiple times. But uh, I'm just like, oh, I know, I, you know, I'm calm right now and I feel confident. But I know the minute that I look, you know, I'm actually there and we're about to walk on stage. Mm-hmm. That shit is going to happen. But once it's over, I'll be fine. Right. But that I know that instance is coming where I'm going to be like, oh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> you know, and that's going to happen. But once the, the you know, the, the vomiting is over, it's going to be smooth sailing. <laughs> but uh, uh, well before before we wrap up you got this other band dov disciples of verity 
we should probably yes. touch on that. Um, I spent Halloween with you guys at Dingbats in Clifton. You guys played the show on Halloween, which yeah, was that awesome. Was, that was crazy. Yeah, that was um, a good time, I, though. And, and Corey showed up dressed as LL Cool J, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that dude is weird. Let me just leave it at that. You're kidding. <laughs> now nah, he's 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 um he's a funny dude man he's like he's got a great sense of humor he tells some crazy ass stories oh so i bet he's got some stories oh yeah no he's doubt. lived some life <laughs> <laughs> so you, you know like we went out for a few we went out for some dates and shit and mm-hmm. me and him were get to rabbit you know where everybody's talking shit you know riding along and he's telling us random stories about different people he's worked with and different people he's met mm-hmm. And he's telling us the stories about like Platoon. Oh, that must be wild. David and jamming with Johnny Depp and him back in the day oh, in the hotel and shit like that. I mean, I, I can't go into depth on the stories because <laughs> some of that shit is not fit for you public know, consumption. Public <laughs> consumption. Like, at least not by me. I shouldn't yeah. be saying it. I, well, you he know, can say whatever he wants. <laughs> you know who to pass him along to. You know who does a sweet interview on a podcast. So you can let it do Hit him know. up, man. He loves he loves to talk some shit. I will say that. Done. Me and that dude, we me and that dude be talking shit to each other, trading insults. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must have been, been a hell of a tour bus. <laughs> oh, he's he's a funny dude, man. He's no, he's he is. Great. He, he was super cool. I got to talk both of you I got to talk. I got to spend Halloween with the two Corys. Never mind. Corey Feldman, Corey Haim. I got to spend Halloween with the two Corys. The real yeah, you don't want to spend time with those dudes. You don't know what might happen. Well, I mean, there's only one of them left. So who well, knows? there's only one of them That's left gonna... now because the other one <laughs> went crazy and started a, what did he get into a cult? Or did he start that cult? I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember either, but he, he got, but that, he, that's he, a, that's a lost boy who got really lost. So yeah. yeah. Then he found Jesus, a God or some, some such. I that's mean, what always happens. That's how He's it goes. They're all, they're absolutely drug maniacs doing the worst shit ever. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden God comes, rescues them. Right. And then they go crazier. Like yeah. how do you go crazy and then go crazier when you're supposed to find peace somewhere? You're in there, replacing but. one crazy with another crazy. I mean, any day yeah. now, Charlie Sheen's going to be like, I found God. I've made friends with Jesus. You know, he's, I mean, it's gonna happen. to be honest, there's somebody I would say that I think that's good. I think that's going to be Tommy Vex. That's he's going to find Jesus next. <laughs> <laughs> hear that blabbermouth? anyway uh so <laughs> you guys get me in trouble uh, <laughs> all right i'll edit it out fine no um, you don't have to edit it so out you guys, I'm, I'm just kidding i'm just kidding but you know you don't know what shit's gonna get picked up um but you were sharing uh some clips from you guys recording the new dov album uh the first one's great you guys can check them out on Bandcamp. by the way go to Bandcamp. look up disciples of verity um i'll actually put a link in the episode description as well so you guys can check that out because that album is great yeah. Second album's well, on the way. The usual places, YouTube, Spotify, yeah, all the stream streaming. it everywhere. But you know, buy the damn thing. Come on now, pony up. Get you, a, get you a CD or a digital download. Come on, support the band. Um, but you guys have a second record. You were telling me before that you're going in to do some drums for it. Is it mostly yeah, done? Um, like, is it going to be a 2022 release? Like, where are you guys at with the second album? I mean, honestly, it's 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 going to be finished you know, being done in 2022, I don't know if it's going to get released in 2022. Gotcha. Just because I feel like at this point now, you know, it's already kind of late in the summer. Yeah. And by the time all the, we go over the hashing of mixing and mastering and, and, you know, dealing with all the details of that and making sure everybody is happy, you know, it's going to be at a certain point to where, um, 
I think it, there's just not enough prep time to put it out in 2022, which is, you know, you go into things with a lot of scheduling ideas, but Corey also does a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm doing all the stuff. So it's like you have to accommodate schedules and you also don't want to rush things because um, you want to put out a quality product. Sure. The other factor that has come into play is that um, Sahaj, who's done a lot of production work with, you know, Babels, um, every, basically every band that's on Sirius XM in the top 10, you know, that dude has <laughs> had something to do with. And um, George and Glover were just out with him in uh, Indiana or whatever. Yeah. Working on vocal stuff. And um, so that also is something that developed as we went along because um, all the main structures for the songs have been done for, for a little bit now, for the most part. Um, then it was just kind of like yelling at each other, nitpicking details, um, as which you do. is more me yelling at people than, than anything else. Cause I'm just, I get like, I'm just at the point now where it's just like, if I'm not filmed, it's like, yo, that riff sucks. Like I'm not even trying to. <laughs> Sugarcoat shit <laughs> because you can't, you just can't. And it's not like I say it in a volatile way. I'm just, you know, like, why are we putting effort into this? You know, where we should, you know, these, this is really great. Let's keep that. Let's not talk about this because it's not good. So, yeah, for not. sure. So, but uh, I, I think that we all feel pretty confident where things are right now. And obviously, with Sahaj, it's only going to, you know, he's only going to add enough more positivity to the experience. So, that also came into play, which it all, it all takes time. Like he's doing other stuff too. So you have to accommodate his schedule. It's, it's difficult, yeah. but uh, I suspect a, a 2023 release. Um, but at some point too, I want to start once some of the, you know, we play this show and then some of that, the other details that we're working on kind of die down. Mm. I want to start already writing more DLV stuff so that once a new record comes out, we're already have, more material like we actually do have more songs than are going on the record already um which is always nice you want to have like tons of material and that you can at least work on like it may not be finished but at least you know i got these riffs i got these structures you know what can we do to sort of make it better and keep uh keep the momentum going but uh yeah definitely 2023 but it's it's just such a different experience for me. Like I guess it's just I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like two different worlds. You know what I mean? Two di- very different mindsets as mm-hmm. far as what we're going for musically, the general chemistry amongst the dudes in the band, and um, you know, I you know, just what you want at the experience. Like what I want out of the DOV experience is not the same as what I want out of the God forbid experience. It's like way two different things of like course. doing dov it's like super easy for me to just to do that band you know like it still requires effort but i feel like the effort on my part is a lot um a lot less challenging in certain ways that are extremely challenging god forbid mm-hmm. um it's also a big thing obviously having glover in a band because a lot of what he does allows me to kind of just kind of be in the background and just holding down grooves and just creating a uh, comfortable environment for the music to lay on top of, which obviously God forbid, it's a little bit more supercharged. It's a little bit more uh, work oriented for, for me. <laughs> like you know, There's certain things that are just a necessity to that style of music that I have to sort of be the driving engine on a lot of things. 
to make it sound the way we want it to sound as opposed to GOV where it's kind of like I get to just kind of chill a lot of times and listen to other dudes do their thing, which is, which is nice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I like, I like sitting in the cut. (laughs) (laughs) I am, I've been, I've been telling people this for years. My entire goal within music is to be overrated. I want people to just be (laughs) mad that so many people think I'm really, really good. Just be so overrated. Like I am living for that day. I can't (laughs) wait to be overrated. If it ever happens, I've been shooting for it for a long time now, so it may never happen. But it, everybody out there, start overrating me. Like, I want to. Yeah, we got a couple of weeks. Goal. Got a couple of weeks to this Virginia gig. Uh, let's see how this festival goes, and <laughs> <laughs> you all can pass your judgment. After yeah, that. yeah. Like, I, I'm looking. I that's my entire purpose is to be overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get to that point. That would be nice. That's, that's a noble <laughs> ambition. I want to be overrated. It, is. it works. It, is. it works. <laughs> um, but yeah, doing that. And then um, obviously being on the other side of things too, is I produce some, a, a bunch of records and then mm-hmm. um, the band I'm working with now, Dissensions, like that's definitely a record. If you like heavy shit, go check that record out. It's called uh, Empire of Anatomy. And it's like producing that record was crazy. Cause they're like all young dudes. And it's like, you know, getting their ideas and processing how they think and getting them to sort of like raise the bar of what they're doing. It's been a, a, a fantastic process. It's, mm. it's frustrating at times, but it's so great because they have so much energy and so many ideas and, um, you know, helping them to compile those ideas and get yeah, the distill most it down. Them. And yeah, it's been great. It's been great. And it's like working with them is, it's, I listen because I get to listen to all the struggles again because you know they're going through that <laughs> shit right now. They're playing yeah. really shitty shitholes with no PAs. You know, it's mm. got like one mic. <laughs> you know that type of shit. And I'm telling them like, yo, man, this is just, you just got to grind it out, man. You got to stay tough and and stay with it. But mm. it's it's funny for me to watch, even though I know sometimes it's not funny for them because <laughs> <laughs> you made it out the other side. They're still in the middle of this shit. So that's why. Yeah. I mean, like, basically everything they want to do, I've already done, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's fun to, to watch them, you know, kind of like, it's like, I guess it's in a way it's like having kids, like you mm-hmm. get to relive certain experiences <laughs> and even the negative ones are more enjoyable for you now. Right. Cause you've, you know, you know how it's going to turn out. You get to out. watch it from arm's length. So it's yeah, easier. Exactly. You know, you're, you're just, you're, you're not really gritting it out, <laughs> but, um, that's been great. And then now I'm out here and, um, you know, involved in the cannabis business, which is another thing that obviously I truly love. So, mm. you know, uh, all great things, all great things, you know, have transpired. So maybe it would have been different. Like if God forbid would have been on, you know, I wouldn't have ended up working in Manhattan. I wouldn't have end up producing bands. I wouldn't have ended up managing a band. I wouldn't have end up probably working in this business. Also in that time, I learned how to fix small engines. Hey, that's another, another <laughs> little developed skill that I had time to do. You in that trade. time, not being God forbid. <laughs> it's always nice to develop skills. Of course. You know? Doesn't matter. I'm also, I'm also uh, learning Italian right now. That's why I've been learning Italian for about the past eight months. Bellissimo. See, it's a Jersey. You can't get out of Jersey. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> there's plenty of Italians in New Jersey. There's no doubt about that. There's a, there's a few. There's a couple of us. There's, there's I can't say that. It's, yeah, there's, there's a few. It's a stereotype for a reason. Well, we've <laughs> done it. We've done two plus hours going over all kinds of shit man we did it but 
I cannot <laughs> let you go until you are 2022's first victim in Cape This or That. Oh, God. That's right. 10 this or that questions. No wrong answers. Coke or Pepsi. Same type of this or that game you've ever heard. Questions it sounds, written. It sounds like it could be. It could go tragically wrong. <laughs> I guess we'll find out together. All right. But uh, 10 what questions you, you written specifically for you. Uh, you don't need to give quick answers. If you want to elaborate, feel free. Like it doesn't, you know, this isn't a timed thing. Obviously, the whole interview hasn't been timed. But uh, if you want to elaborate, feel free. But 10 questions just for okay. Corey Pierce. Here we go. Got to be a Jersey-centric question. Wawa or Sheets? I'm going to say Wawa. Yeah. Hands I mean, got, they I look like you struggled so, with that one for a second. Well, you know what it is? Here's the thing about Sheets that is pretty sick. Sheets, so when I first got introduced to Sheets, right, they had like, you could get like bacon cheeseburgers and shit like that. Like yeah. at the time, when I first got introduced to Sheets, up in Pennsylvania, Wawa, you could you could only get subs there and sandwiches. Yeah. This before they had, you know, like a full range of hot food. And Sheets had like a whole menu. Like they had a legit, you get chicken tenders, you get fries, you get all this shit, like a fast food place, like going to McDonald's or something. Right. Wawa was still basically like, you know, a convenience store with, a, with, a, with some sandwiches. Yeah. You know, so, but I'd say overall, you know, nowadays I would go with the Wawa, you know, Nice. Good answer. Schwarzenegger or Stallone? I mean, that's a hard that's a hard one to answer. Isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard to answer. I kind of have to go Schwarzenegger, and there's a couple reasons why. All right. Let's uh, hear it. First of all, Pumping Iron. <laughs> Enough said. You watch Pumping Iron? No one exists besides Schwarzenegger. Best that comedy was, of that year. <laughs> that was entertainment out the ass. Plus, I just like, I always felt like... Something about like the Schwarzenegger that the, I mean obviously okay so Stallone did Rambo he did Rocky did all these great things Schwarzenegger did less chains of movies but he has made probably I'd say more of iconic movies than Stallone has like Predator yeah Mando True Lies you know what I mean like that alone you know hands down. Yeah. He just fucked everybody up. That's right. You know, two Terminator did, uh, movies that were good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course Terminator. But yeah. you know, Terminator Two. Like, come on. Yeah, you can't fuck with Terminator. It can't 3. be defeated. You can't defeat that. That's right. Stop making Terminator Three Part Four. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still watch them. I'm not gonna lie. I do too. And that last, the last one was actually not bad though. The last one he made, whichever yeah. number that was, like that, that was actually not bad. It's just like when Stallone did. Um, not the last Rambo, but the one previous to that, yes, was yeah. uh, was was good. But that last Terminator wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't fantastic. It's you can't recapture the same magic. No, but it wasn't bad. It was still entertaining. I wasn't too let down. But I guess overall, I'd have to pick Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. He's also funnier. True, you know, you're right. Big he thing is. for me. I'm a big fan of comedy first. Mm. So uh, he's funnier to me than Stallone is. So that to me puts him over the top. Schwarzenegger. Plus, he's more of a sexual deviant. So there's <laughs> there's that as well. So this doesn't seem like it was that hard a question at all, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just once I broke it down mentally. Yeah. Now you know he's funnier and he's a bigger sexual deviant. Schwarzenegger wins. Got it. And plus Terminator also, Two. Yeah, plus Terminator Two. That's it. That's the trifecta. 
Neil Peart or Mike Portnoy? Neither. Get out. <laughs> really? Um, okay, so I'm going to put this out there. All right, and, go ahead. And, and this is going to... I honestly don't care how anybody feels about this. So I respect both those guys on a level of technical proficiency um, because clearly both of those dudes were, were, were and are sick, sick players. Um, stylistically, um, as far as you go from a Neil Persile, I'm actually more of a fan of Billy Cobham, who I feel basically... He, he pulled an Elvis on Billy Cobham. He basically stole his shit <laughs> and just didn't... He just... he's Neil Perr is great, but he's no Billy Cobham, okay? And I, I know a lot of people out there have no idea who Billy Cobham is. Billy Cobham played with Vanna Vishnu Orchestra. He played with Herbie Hancock. He basically single-handedly redefined fusion drumming on his own. And just a lot of people don't know it, but a lot of people jacked that motherfucker. Like, they... There would be no Dennis Chambers. There would be no Tony Royster Jr. There would be no Carter Buford without Billy Cobham. He is the foundation of all of that shit. So, on that respect, you know, people always like, Neil Perd, Neil Perd. I'm like, man, you know, I respect him, but it just wasn't my taste. Now, Mike Portnoy, very similar situation. I respect what he does. I respect the technical proficiency, but stylistically, it's not for me. I always liked uh, the drummer from uh, Symphony X kind of more than I liked Mike ah, Portnoy okay. style. And there's another Jersey band, some more Jersey That's Cat. right, yeah. And those, that dude, you know, that band in general, they, they don't even write regular songs. They write movie scores. This shit is ridiculous. It's embarrassing. <laughs> it's true. You, feel, you just feel hurt because they're so talented. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, everybody else is a scrub. Them dudes are sick. <laughs> So the answer to your question, if I had to pick one or the other gun to my head, I guess I'd pick Neil Pert. Just be based on YYZ. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so there's some, there is what somebody wins out, but most of the somebody time somebody wins out. Yeah. But, uh, but they can both if, go screw. Is what you're choose, saying? I would say no to both. If, if that was <laughs> All right. Well, let's hope this one is uh, equally complicated in a different way. Dave Lombardo or Nick Menza? Dave Lombardo. Yeah. Hands down. I Hands mean, down? Okay. come on. Never mind. I mean, I love Nick Menza. That dude, like, that was the best. When he was in Megadeth, I felt like that was the best version. Yeah. Of yeah, Megadeth. I agree with that. You know, I'm pretty sure that everybody's going to see that. And I love Dirk, too, because Dirk is sick. You know, now he's he's one, he's a fantastic player and a super, super nice dude. But just when Nick was in that band, I felt like you couldn't imagine the drums being any better or any note being any different. And that's kind of, it's like, you know, um, Gene Hoagland or or Richard Christie being in death. Right. Both really good players, but when Gene Hoagland was in death, like I couldn't picture any note to any part of any song being played any more perfectly than he did it when he was in that band. That to me is kind of like that's the thing. You know what I mean? Dave Lombardo, uh, especially after you know, years of admiration and getting to know him, be friends with the dude. It's like, just, just, just look at him. <laughs> the shit is just, what can you say? It's like everything about him for what he does is fantastic. He's fluid. He's smooth. He is hard. He looks always like he's relaxed and having fun. Like he's basically, he is basically the standard for which everybody else built themselves off of. 
And anybody else that says like that's playing thrash and doesn't admit that, you are lying out of your face. <laughs> so hard you're lying. Just admit the truth. You know, you base and have stolen a lot from that guy. I've told him straight to the face because I don't care. I was like, listen, <laughs> I've stolen a bunch of your shit. I don't care. What you going to do about it? <laughs> and uh, eventually we got into a towel whipping fight by a pool. But that's a whole other thing. Oh, no. Hang on. You can't dangle that carrot and be like, no, next time. We'll talk about that next time. No, what happened? Um, well, I, I can tell, tell you part of what happened. Tell it slowly. The, the, I'm kidding. The summation of what happened was at this point, I was just getting getting to know the dude and starting to hang out with him. And uh, is this on Ozfest? Is that is this the tour? No, I think somewhere? this was on uh, uh, Mayhem actually. Okay, in two thousand nine, and um, this is after he had left Slayer and then came back again. Mm, okay, so um, so I was there both times, both tours. So that Ozfest in two thousand four, he had just come back to Slayer for the first time, and I met him on that tour, and then he. You know, was with Slayer for a little bit, and then he left, and then he came back again, two thousand nine, and on on Mayhem, and we started hanging out on that tour more than I had ever hung out with him before, and uh, we were at this pool at a hotel, and I pulled this chair cover off, which I was so drunk at the time I thought it was a a towel, <laughs> but it was really this like eight foot long, heavy ass chair cover but it, it's like the same consistency of a towel only longer heavier and thicker so <laughs> i proceeded to wind this thing up and i whipped it and it literally like the sound of it when it hit him directly in his ass crack like it was like you couldn't have planned a hit any more volatile it sounded like a bullwhip crack it was like Fuck! <laughs> and it's it was in this moment that was pivotal in our relationship. My <laughs> initial thought was he turned around, gripping his ass, looking at me crazy. And I thought, oh man, I have just ruined <laughs> any chance of really being friends with this dude. Secondly, I have 100% overstepped <laughs> in the dynamic of our relationship. Part three is this dude is getting ready to attack yeah. me. <laughs> I will die by the hands of Dave Lombardo. <laughs> and he looked at me crazy and just charged me. He came charging at me <laughs> and I took off running and then waited for a moment and then threw him into the pool. <laughs> now he wow. actually, he actually still tells this story, which is kind of funny because this is how we became friends. And he was totally cool about the whole situation mm -hmm. because he's just a really, he's just a really, he got his ass stitched up and he was all right after that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think he felt it either when it, after that, you know, a few moments, mm -hmm. but in the, in that moment, man, it was, it was, as soon as you heard that crack, you were like, Oh, shit. oh, yeah. My stomach was in my throat. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just fucked up. <laughs> but um, it was actually a moment that kind of like we became really like friendly. After it cemented that your friendship after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, all uphill learned, from there. I mean, I learned a lot from him. I used to me and Maddie Byrne from Haybury. We used to actually on us. We used to go over and watch him every day and uh, sit there, drink Heineken's and I'd smoke bowls. And just sit there and watch Lombardo every day. And then Mayhem, I used to watch him all the time. And he's he'd like, just tell me stuff, like little things that he would do and things that he's done. And he gave me a lot of quality information that changed the way that I thought about playing a lot. Nice. And I adapted a lot of the things that he does and uses, uh, not only just general playing, but ergonomically, 
mm-hmm. into what I do. And it had helped. It helped a lot. Changed a lot of the way I thought and, and physically how I played. So, yeah. Dave Lombardo. Dave Lombardo wins. <laughs> Rest in peace, Nick Menza. Michael Weston or Sam Axe? It's a deep cut question. If people don't know. Mm, that's... that's- Corey's the only I'm other person kinda, I know I'm who's seen I'm kind of a Burnham. Sam X guy, mm-hmm. and here's why I like Sam X. Sam X is pretty much just as bad as Michael Weston. He's badass, but he's a, a drunk. He's a ne'er-do-well. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's kind of swarthy. You know what I mean? He's like, more I like Schwarzenegger. Michael Weston yeah. is a little too... He's too straight-laced too buttoned up. a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. He's too uptight. Like, later on in the, in the show... He starts to develop feelings and shit, which was kind of cool to watch him sort of get humanized. Yeah, after seven uh, seasons. Yeah, yeah after yeah. seven seasons, and at the end, you know, he ends up with the kid and and all of that stuff. But Sam Max is kind of the shit. You know, what I mean, he knows everybody. He's always romancing these hot ass chicks that are rich, <laughs> and he's a legit hero. The dude's yeah. a legit hero, and he's like down to earth. You know, he's always working, right. cleaning cars and shit. Like, he's not afraid to to just do what's right, you know? <laughs> and he's, like, not bragging or nothing like that. He's just living, you know? And I like the fact that he is a strong drinker and sort of swarthy. So you got to go <laughs> Sam Max. That's just me because, I, you know, that's how I roll. I, I hear you. <laughs> I, honestly, that, that would be my answer, too, if I was asked this question. And everybody watch Burn Notice on Netflix. Excellent show. Corey's the only other guy. Yeah, he's the only other person I know who's watched the show, and I've been yelling about it for like twelve years. So, oh my god, it's a great show. I did not watch Burn Notice. I know every episode's a movie. Every episode's a movie. It's amazing. You get comedy. You got violence. You got education because you learn things. I mean, it's not typical things. You got Florida scenery. You learn how to blow shit up and stuff. But (laughs) and Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell is Sam X. What more do you need? Yeah, get on it. Legend, legend. That's right. <laughs> Who's the better fictional metal band, Spinal Tap or Death Clock? I'm gonna have to say Spinal Tap. Death Clock is almost not fictional. <laughs> they actually had dudes that represented them and went out and toured and shit. Well, but I mean, Spinal, Spinal Tap, Tap did. They did some Spinal shows. Tap is just like it's amazing comedy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just and it's just I love everything about the whole narrative of Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. Like Death Clock it was just. I liked Metalocalypse, but literally after I watched like four episodes, I was like, all right, I'm good. You know, <laughs> I got like, it. Once you watch four episodes, that's it. You've watched mm-hmm. every episode because how much stuff can you really do? <laughs> you know, and I mean, I think they wrote a lot of crazy ass. There's a lot of crazy ass death clock riffs and stuff mm-hmm. that are like legit good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Spinal oh, Tap yeah. is not that. They're just funny and entertaining. So that's kind of like the point. So they went yeah, but, you know, once again, for me, it's always comedy first. True. So, <laughs> so that's where I'm at with it. Spinal Tap takes us around. Who is the better front man, Corey Glover or Corey Feldman? That's not even – that's a real question? <laughs> I know it's a stupid question, but, you know. I mean, clearly. Corey Feldman Corey goes out and sings. I mean, Corey Feldman, I don't know what, what – I don't, I don't want to call him a front man. I, I don't know what – that <laughs> motherfucker's an alien clown or something. I don't know what the hell he is. There, that, that dumb question was worth Alien Clown. So I stand by it. I'm going to stand by my question. All right. Maybe it was dumb, but it was for real. Edi- edibles or joints? Uh, Joints. Because I like edibles, but I need to function. And the, when you do an edibles, 
that shit is, is it affects your body and your mind. You know what I mean? I like to keep my high where I can contain it in my head, where all the other crazy thoughts are. You know what I mean? I smoke a joint and just do my thing. I could talk to people, you know, do what I got to do, mm. handle business. You know, I start eating edibles. I don't want to do shit. I want to fucking, I don't even want Netflix to chill. I just want to chill. <laughs> The Netflix is just a buy. It could be anything in the background as a byproduct. Could right. be music, could be TV, could be movies, could be fucking birds chirping. <laughs> you got to handle your high. That's what it is. That's right. Joints are about functionality. You know, edibles are about some other shit that I'm not about most of the time. <laughs> yeah. You can't have an edible and go practice like you do. Yeah. No, 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 no. Different. I've tried that and it, it is very ineffective. <laughs> ineffective. 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 DC movies or Marvel movies? This, I was actually just thinking about this, and this is why. So I've been on this rampage. Like, I'm sure you, I don't know, I think that you are, like me, you're like a crazy uh, entertainment head. Like, I watch oh, a yeah. lot of TV shows, a lot of movies, because I just love, I love movies. I love TV. I love the art of it. I love having, like, met a lot of people that do that for a living. I love, like, getting, like, having more knowledge of how it all goes together, how much work goes into it. Yeah, I'm it. fascinated by all that. I love recognizing all of that, and it makes you appreciate, you know, TV and movies a lot more, especially totally. when it's really good stuff. You know, like, you see something that's really, some show that's really amazing, or, um, you know, some movie that's like, man, you're like really blown away, um, which doesn't happen every day. But I was thinking about it because I started watching all... So here's what I did. So there's an order... If you watch like the Marvel TV shows like uh, Daredevil and uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage right, and right, the Netflix shit, era, yeah, you can look it up and there's actually an order to which you can watch all the different shows in the various order that they go in in storyline order. So it's like first season of Daredevil, first season of Jessica Jones, second season of Daredevil, then it's like the first season of Luke Cage, so on and so forth. So I actually went through the time of looking at all that shit. And then after that, in that order, I went on a whole Marvel binge. Like I went, watch all the Captain Americas, all the Iron Mans, all the Thor, all that shit. And then just lately, um, I watched, so I watched the Harley Quinn HBO Max show, which I was pleasantly that. surprised by. Mm -hmm. It's actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Like, it's actually really fucking funny yeah, it's i've heard really, it's a lot of fun yeah it's 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 actually so much better like the insane chemistry between the people on the show and the way they carry the dialogue and everything where it's kind of like i don't know it's just very fluid and the, and the jokes even the cheesy ones are funny because they figured out a way to sell it you know what i mean yeah, like it yeah. all works um so after watching that show um i just went and kind of started watching all this different DC stuff because all that stuff is on HBO Max. Like right. all the Batman's, Justice League, um, Titans, which is another great show. That shit is fucking awesome. I, I love Doom um, Patrol. Doom Patrol is a, one of the best shows out there right now. I've life. been trying to like I, I've been trying to get through Doom Patrol, and I haven't made it all the way through Doom Patrol. Really, I didn't like the show as much because hmm. I don't like the characters as much. Hmm. Okay, that's where it's, I kind of got thrown off. Okay, by Doom Patrol. Okay. I do like Brendan Fraser on that show because. He is top quality on that show. Com <laughs> yeah, he com is. <laughs> comedically, he's fantastic. He kills it on that um, show. Plus, he's just kind of a little bit of a dick, which, you know, like if you know anything about Brandon Frazier, that's not his MO. You know no, what I mean? No. He's either the goofy guy that becomes cool or he's the adventure 
cool guy, super nice guy, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, throughout his career. That's what he's done. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see him as kind of like a little conceited dick. Yeah. Kind of degenerate. You know, but you know. <laughs> yeah. A little more like humanizing kind of, uh, you know, um, grimy sort of character, which I kind of liked mm-hmm. again, you know, I like the grimy cats. Right. So I like it. I like, I like characters. Like I like my hip hop. I like, I like the grimy gutter ass <laughs> motherfuckers. You know what I mean? But um, as far as DC or Marvel, it's, I, I find it really hard to say. Like, I know a lot of people, they're like committed to one or the other. Like exactly. I've seen the arguments too, the very serious arguments. Cause a lot of Marvel stuff, you know, was tending to be, especially with the Disney too, which tends to be a lot of people say is lighter, but I don't know about that. If you've watched Avengers or you've watched Daredevil, Luke Cage, that's, that's not light material. Or you know what I developed a new appreciation for Jessica Jones. The first time I tried to watch that show, I was like, man, I don't know if I'm digging this, but then I actually like got into it, watched all of it. I was like, man, this show is, they deal with some heavy topics on that show, man. I don't know if people know about this. Jessica Jones has got some serious shit going on. Like, really dark, serious things happen on that show. But I'd say, I'd have to say overall, maybe Marvel edges out just a little bit. Not because the movies are are necessarily bigger, but I just feel like maybe show-wise is what really did it. Because I love Daredevil. I love Luke Cage. I love all all those fucking shows. Just kind of kicked ass. And... The DC side hasn't really stepped up on that level yet. Like, I love Titans. Like, you say you love Dome Patrol, but, like, they just have Punisher and everything. Like, I love Punisher. Johnny Bernthal is the shit. Like, <laughs> I just, I loved all those shows so much that it kind of, like, that would be the thing that kind of makes me yeah. lean a little bit more Marvel. Push it over the edge, yeah. Than DC. I mean, also, people had a lot of complaints, you know, about the, uh, the Justice League movies and all like, you know, I'm going to put this out there too. Uh, I love all the comic book movies because I just like to see people doing superhero shit. I don't care how <laughs> shitty it is. And I've seen all the shoes, you know, um, what was the one with Jennifer Garner where she did a uh, oh, Electra Electra. Yeah. That movie was basically, they ripped off Ninja Scroll and then put Jennifer Garner in, in the fucking <laughs> as Jubei Kibagami. Like, what the fuck, man? You literally just stole an anime and just made it with real people and then didn't even keep to the storyline. <laughs> it was terrible, but I still watch it. I still kind of find it. Enter- I just like seeing people do superhero shit. You know, what's wrong with that? I like to see people jumping off of buildings and blowing shit up, doing flying and- motherfuckers through buildings and yeah. shit. That shit's exciting. <laughs> Superman, Fantastic. They are whooping ass in that movie. People get thrown through planes and shit. How can you not like that? But people like to nitpick. Oh, you know, it wasn't the comic book number special fucking eight fifty five edition one really had Superman? Like, you know what? I don't give a fuck about. It. It's a fucking movie, bitch. You're not supposed to just rip it apart. It's not meant for that. You were supposed to watch superheroes doing superhero shit. Um, I mean, obviously there are really ones that are made excellent, like. Captain America Civil War, that movie is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Or Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. Winter, well, Winter Soldier, yeah. yeah that's... That I think it's probably it's definitely in the top three of all the Marvel movies made. Period. Mm-hmm. And that's including Avengers, all that shit. That Winter Soldier movie was goddamn ridiculous. Chris Evans, 
superhero. You know what I'm saying? For real. That nigga's a superhero in real life. So, yeah, Marvel just edged out a little bit. Just a little bit. Mostly because of the shows, not because of the movies. But right. those shows are just spectacular. <laughs> well, like, that's it. I, I know you watch it all. So I, I had to ask because I'm like, there has I'll to do, be. I do. Yeah. I watch it all. I've been watching all those crazy, like, weird Batman movies, the serious ones and the goofy ones. And there's a <laughs> lot of, like... There's some really good animated Batman movies. Oh yeah, that people are just don't Red Hood is is an awesome movie. I love that. that shit is Hood. brutal too. Yeah, it is. The violence in that show, I was like, man, this violence is top notch. <laughs> <laughs> I love violence. Long the Halloween. That was Long Halloween was great. The one they just did the two parter. Uh, what else Ooh. was it? They, it's a few of them. That was you know everything. They had the um, Gotham to Gaslight, uh, Attack on Arkham. Oh, the attack on Arkham. That Suicide Squad movie was great. And the second one was good, too, actually. Hell to Pay was really cool. That was super gory, actually. That one, I was surprised. I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's just, it's crazy because you see in cartoons fucking and stuff. You're like, man, this is right. Fucking's going on. Like, Deadshot is fucking Harley Quinn. And like the, like the, right in the beginning, the one, and uh, and the one, um, and that's the, uh, the attack on Arkham. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? What happened to my cartoons? She like just appears in his room naked and shit. She's like, I got a scratch. A scratch. I think you can itch. Or the, the itch, <laughs> I, I think you can scratch. And he's like, and he flips over and he goes, oh, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought, you know, yeah, man, I find little shit like that is, is, you know, it's kind of what makes certain movies and things like that. For oh, me, yeah. You know, no, the, the, the DC the animated movie, movies you know. are are great. They're so cool. I wish they'd get that edgy with the live action movies, you know, just based on what they've done. I'm like, the stories are there. I wish you guys would would go in that direction. But I, it I is mean, actually we'll see. kind of perplexing why they don't like it seems like Marvel kind of does that a little bit better. Like they make the movies kind of like they embody those storylines. Let's not even get into the X-Men movies. Yeah, because uh, I loved almost all of those movies. That third X-Men movie was definitely motherfucking suspect yeah 100%. <laughs> you know everybody was calling mm, mm, yeah. Mm. yeah i don't know and then there's of course here's here's the let's we're on the topic we'll just talk about the worst ones made of all time all right go ahead the the ryan reynolds green lantern the oh, tragic God. mistake that how much they put so much money into that movie like they should have fired everybody for thinking about making that movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're fired before you even have a job. Um, then there was the Wolverine movies. All those were terrible except for Logan. True. All of them. Terrible. And it's such a great story. Like, how could you fuck that? First of all, who decided to put that nigger for Black Eyed Peas in that movie? <laughs> You know, what were his qualifications? He was famous at the time. So let's put him in a a really high, you know, action really rated, action movie. Comic book movie, yeah. Yeah, that was a terrible fucking decision. Okay? <laughs> terrible. And that that third X-Men movie when they had the porcupine cat up in there, that yeah. useless motherfucker. Like, why are you putting characters? First of all, Xavier dies. No one cares. You don't even care. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, he died. Sorry that happened. <laughs> you know, no one gave a shit. And then you got these useless characters in the movie that have literally no effect on the movie or impact on the movie at all. They're just there. You know, they don't do anything cool. They're not fun to watch or nothing. Like, why you got to, why, you know, you just made it terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, just new characters, but they don't do anything. 
Yeah. That's well, it. That, that was, you know, so they made some terrible mistakes and they cleaned it up with some, you know, with movies like Winter Soldier and shit like that. I mean, just impeccable. Impeccable. Yeah. There's a lot of range but between the great and the terrible. That, yeah. That, that, well, that is the bittersweetness of Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like DC is kind of like more consistent. Consistently In mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's things that people like, you know, people took the Justice League thing and a lot of people didn't like that. A lot of people didn't like Aquaman, you know, but um, I like both of those movies. I like I like Justice League. I had fun watching it and I was entertained by the amount of violence and superhero shit that went on. Well, you know, I think certain things you just have to have fun watching and stop dissecting and just and yeah. there's certain things that are so terrible like that green lantern movie where you may have wanted to go in just having fun but they made it so bad they they made it a challenge for you to have fun you're trying to find ways to enjoy the movie because you paid for the ticket (laughs) (laughs) you know that's 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 not good that's not good oh man priceless man we could we could do a whole show just about movies well that next time we're gonna have to do that because I could absolutely could go do on. that. Oh, I'll talk some shit. We will. We'll do that. We'll get we'll get Doc and we'll do Pod Forbid. Ooh, shit. Look at that. Oh, that motherfucker will start hating. He's that oh, motherfucker yeah. loves to hate on stuff. Hey, but that's <laughs> that's the fun about doing a panel show, though, is we could all bat back and forth. See, we got <laughs> we got to do he'll that. Start bringing, he'll start bringing in some information that you hadn't considered. And then he'll start talking about it. And then you start getting infuriated about it. Like, why? <laughs> why are you going to tell me that? <laughs> I, I used to like the movie. Now you fucked it up. Now, now you made me think about it too hard. Damn it. Now I can't come back from this. All right. And our final question. Tenth and final question in Cape Uh-oh. This or That. You can resurrect both Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Daryl and bring mm-hmm. back Pantera tomorrow. But you will have to sacrifice Charlie Benante and Scott Ian. So you will bring back Pantera, but you will end Anthrax. Do you do it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Wow. There's I thought that was going to be a, no hesitation there. I thought that was going to be a I'm puzzler. A Go figure. Well, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's pretty commonly. Well, I don't know if it's commonly known, but most people who know me know that Pantera is my favorite metal band. Yes, hands down of all time. Like it's not even close. Like so much of what I think about playing metal, thinking about metal, um, the way I looked at it from start to finish so to speak is based off of a love for that band and what they they were basically the van halen of metal if you want to look at it that way because they could literally pretty much do anything play simple stuff and make it sound good technically proficient Mm. great melodies great songwriting they literally could do it all like they were that talented and they had that kind of chemistry so uh and maybe it's just like um also, it's a timing thing, um, you know, when that band started, like, you know, some, you know, um, Cowboys from Hell came out, it was a huge influence on my life, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first thing that I really, really fell in love with stylistically after Dave Lombardo and South of Heaven. So it's wow. basically like it was the thing that kind of changed my whole overview of what I was trying to accomplish and how I wanted to play and what I wanted things to sound like was vastly changed pretty much by that band singularly. So loving Charlie as much as I do, because I stole a lot of <laughs> shit from that motherfucker too. And I still had, you know, in my room, I had pictures of Charlie 
with him. He had this old skull kit when Among the Living was that had little mm-hmm. skulls all over it. Yeah. And I had pictures of that kit everywhere in my room in the knot kit. And I, I studied that album at nauseum day in and day out because uh, I really loved, you know, just how his style of playing and especially the they had all the hard ass two steps, you know, <laughs> yeah. just really grimy attack, heavy, powerful things going on. But yeah, in a heartbeat, you know what I mean? Like that's that's a non-starter, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not it. I feel like that's a question that you, you, you know, you, sh- you don't even need to ask. <laughs> you deserve a do-over, you know? <laughs> well, hey, I'm, I'm like, you're friendly with those dudes. I'm like, would you just sacrifice it for sake of attack? Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes, there's no hesitation in, in that regard, Got you it. know? And it's not like, you know, it just is what it is. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, that question stays in for the clicks, then. <laughs> that one stays in. All right. I have no shame. I have no shame. <laughs> hey, I, I respect that. I do. All right. We've done it. We've done a, a not quite a marathon. We've done a hell of a lot. We covered a lot. It's a and hell of a lot. We not even, lot. not even everything. We got so much we can get to. I still have so many notes and stuff we didn't get to, but we went into a lot of stuff. Thank you for being so open and just being up for anything, you know, for talking about all of this stuff. I mean, I realize you probably have been asked about God forbid constantly prior to the announcement of the show. So the fact that now it's inevitable, everyone's going to talk about it. I'm glad you're up for talking about it because you know, it, I get it could probably get on your nerves here and there. So I'm I'm grateful that you were down for just like, let's get into it. I mean, I think there was a time in which it probably got on my nerves a little bit more because of just how things were and, uh, you know, how things were going. Like I said, like going to shows when everybody was out of New Jersey and, mm-hmm. you know, things had gone the way they had gone. And I literally had to be reminded about it, you know, like all the time, yeah. you know, seeing people around. Then I definitely think it was definitely getting on my nerves. Now it's like, you know, I'm fine. You know? <laughs> but then it was like, it was still, you know, for that first couple of years, it was still very sort of like, um, it's too close. You know, rubbing, rubbing salt in the wound. Yeah. Sort of yeah. It's it too soon. And it wasn't that anybody I think had ill intention, but like literally just thinking about it all the time was, you yeah, know, it's a lot brought up sore, brought up some sore feelings, uh, obviously. But, you know, that was a long time ago, and the sore feelings are gone now. So. <laughs> Good. Look at that. <laughs> Resolution. And, uh, closure. You, closure. That's it. You got closure. I mean, kind of. It's still going on, thankfully. You know, there's yeah, more. Yeah, well, more I mean, I got closure of that, that, of that sequence of it. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That era, you finally got the closure. Yes. And yes. you can follow, God forbid, of course, on the socials, God forbid official. Check him out on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Corey at... Let's see. Corey motherfucking Pierce. Corey motherfucking uh, Pierce. I'll put the link below for you people who are phonetic and don't understand how to spell motherfucking Pierce. And uh, <laughs> so click on the links in the description. Uh, but it's still Core Forbid on Twitter, right? Um, I, I think, think I might have changed it to Corey uh, Is it, is it Corey motherfucking Pierce? Just okay. because, and here's the thing. It's actually weird. And I noticed this over time. Anytime I would see somebody, they'd mm-hmm. be like, Corey motherfucking Pierce. So I saw Roy Bayorga for the first time in like forever. And he's like, Corey motherfucker Pierce. Then I saw Shannon Larkin at a show. He was like, Corey motherfucker Pierce. Then my business partner for the for the cannabis company, mm-hmm. Joe, the first day I came out here and he saw he's like, Corey motherfucker Pierce. I'm like, you know, over the years I've noticed that that's how people always address me. Like I don't like I, that's like that's my name. That's my middle name. Corey motherfucking Pierce. 
So now just sort of you decide to lean into it. it. Yeah. Yeah, man. You got to yeah. lean into it Do at it. that point. You know what I mean? It's clearly <laughs> it's clearly what people what the people want. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what it's about, man. Give the people what they want. So there Give you go. Them what they want. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Corey motherfucking Pierce. You want Oreos in your ice cream? Then give them what they want. That's you know right. I mean? If I want Oreos in my fucking ice cream, that's it. <laughs> and of course, you can follow me on Twitter, Chris Zabalo, and on Instagram at Chris Sells Out, and follow the show at Cape Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. The link is in the description, of course. And every Monday, new episode. So, like I said, subscribe. Give the show five stars wherever you get in the podcast. Now that you've listened to this, tap on five stars we really appreciate my it. episode deserves 10 stars you, see <laughs> so get a friend to also give five stars to give us 10 stars you got it all right or vo- give it five stars twice you have your marching <laughs> orders from Corey motherfucking pierce there you go <laughs> and we'll be back next monday with yet another episode so until next time for Corey motherfucking pierce this is chris abalo and this was yet another experiment experiment